Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna, and in the seat across from me, the covert werewolf himself, the transitioner from blue to green, the guy whose true form gets revealed at night. It is covert. Go werewolf. How are you doing today, buddy? Is it a full moon yet? I'm ready to party. Let's go. Heck yeah. Yep, just drinking your rock stars, mm-hmm. eating a little flesh. Good oh, to yeah. Go. Nom. <laughs> Let's go. Nar. Wolf form. Wolf form, yeah. So, yes, Standard is about to get wolfified, and we are going to spend the majority of the episode today talking about Innistrad Midnight Hunt, which is going to be releasing the following week from this week. And so we're stoked to get into that. We're going to spend the majority of the episode just reviewing the set for you. But first, Covert Go Blue, we have a little eulogy to give, mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. a little send-off to what has been, I think I can speak for the both of us, probably one of our favorite formats to play in a long time. So Covert Go Blue, standard 2022, it's about to wrap up. How's it been for you? It has saved the last few months of content for me because I tried to make one video in good old rogues and cycling standard and it was a slog it was a tough adventure standard whatever you want to call it whatever is left of standard that hasn't really changed since kaldheim Ooh, that's hard to make content in but not not 2022 there was a lot to do in 2022 and i enjoyed a lot of it and i honestly feel like there are like six decks maybe that on a decent day i could put up win rates between 60 and 80%. I could go rank with like about six different decks and have fun doing it. Yep. You know, I was actually going to say the same thing. I felt like in this format, it felt like every other deck I played was just like having a killer win rate, like different archetypes, different ideas, different cards. So many things felt viable. I felt like it was really the format where you could have a pet deck and like tweak it for the format and like get a positive win rate and feel really good about it. So which is I feel like that's what people want out of magic, right? Like you want to pick a deck that seems fun and then you want it to be some kind of viable. And I feel like in this format, there was a good chance it would be. Yeah, I think that that's 100% accurate. And in our case, we kind of had this experience last year, but not as much. So standard 2021 last year, the pros and usual competitive outlet sources didn't really cover that format as much because it's kind of a best of one arena only format. But we are the Arena Craft Podcast and we cover all things arena. And that was a heavily played format. And we kind of broke it and shared our findings and people absolutely loved that. And I felt like we did it again. And maybe other people would have found what we found. Maybe, but maybe not. I feel like you and I actually got to affect a metagame, which is kind of a a dream for a lot of content creators in Magic the Gathering. You brought a Simic ramp deck, you pushed for it, you fought for it, you shoved it down my throat, and it definitely carried a lot of people to great win rates and really proved itself. And by the end, at least the version I know I was playing, I was having a great time with. So props to you on your Simic rampiness. Why, thank you. I just want to quickly note that I pushed for that deck to be considered tier one. By the end of the format, I feel vindicated. I feel like it has definitely a point been a tier one deck in the format, and I was very proud to see that. And I mean, as for you, buddy, you know what's interesting is that you have a certain branding about you, right? People mm. people tend to think of you in regards to certain kind of colors and deck styles. But I feel like your two biggest contributions to this format were both white decks. Yes. Which, uh, <laughs> which I just think is... 
kind of ironic. I mean, you know what I play the most? My favorite thing in the world is blue and white. There is another color there. It's not just blue. It's blue and white. So I know my way around a few white cards. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of your best performances on the ladder have been wielding aggressive white decks. So definitely an archetype you know your way around. But yeah, I think that uh, you identifying Code Spell Cleric as a key card in the format was kind of an important moment. And as much as I shudder to see that card see any kind of serious furrowed brow play, uh, you proved to the world that it could be viable. So I think that's a that's a big success there. Thank you. And then, of course, you know, the other deck, the deck that I more often swore at from behind my keyboard than just about any other deck in the format, Blood Money, playing Kaya. You know, and one thing I have to say is that props for just finding maybe like the first real shell to play Kaya in. Thanks. That deck was definitely something I got excited about and pretty passionate about. And just finding that the control deck in the format needed this shell with like the treasure generation and the learn cards and deadly dispute. Just a very kind of different approach from what I'm used to. By the end, and the video will go out soon, it should be out by the time this comes out, my final version of the deck, since Wizards didn't bother to reban it, is now a, an Exalted Deeds <laughs> oh, Book of God. Exalted Deeds deck. But oh, the cool God. thing with it is you only have to run like two Search for Glory and one Book of Exalted Deeds and the rest of the deck is like same old same old story but now you can just combo kill them out of nowhere yep just mid-range grind deck with a random combo kill in it sounds good to me yeah so yeah i think you know that's my estimation of the of the really top tier decks that we contributed to the format were there any other decks that you brewed that you felt like were you know when you think back on them you think like no actually that that deck was really good and and think deserves a mention I think that the, there were a number of decks that should have seen more play, some that I brewed and some that I didn't. I still think that the Teamer Ramp Magma Opus spell type deck was pretty good. I think that Cyclone Summoner and just the prevalence of like green and white in the format kept that version really popular, but the control decks hated queuing into me running the spell-based version, and I, I think that that one could have seen some play. Yeah, it seemed like a cool deck. I also just wanted to note the the big surprise of the format for me was the Bant Party deck. Oh my god. I, yeah. I don't think anyone really saw that deck coming. And you know what? I would like to take just a little bit of credit for that deck rising up, not because I did any development on the deck, but because it was so good against the deck that I contributed to the format <laughs> that I think that that artificially inflated its win rate. Like, if you take Simic out of the format, I feel like you take two or three percentage points off that deck right there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. The untapped.gg stats that I just got, the premium versions had mono white and bant as like the two highest win the top decks, decks in the format. format. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of made me throw up a little bit. It's wild. It's totally wild. <laughs> so yeah, that deck really surged up and seems to be doing pretty well. One thing I want to note is that I think that the the memers are going to be in for a rude awakening when they try to take that deck into the new format and especially into best of three. I think that that is a deck that very much rewards the the hand smoothing. The hand smoothing algorithm, I think, really rewards that deck. And I think when you're forced to play that deck with like a regular shuffling algorithm and when you're forced to like mulligan often playing that deck or basically when anything doesn't go right with your game plan, that deck just folds like a weak house of cards. So I think people are going to be in for a rude awakening if they try to take that deck into like a serious best of three environment moving forward. 
I'll just agree with you. When I hate on a deck, but it puts up good numbers anyway, I try to stop hating, but just keep on like, okay, I try to stop doubting, but I keep hating. They keep hazing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> well, here's the other thing, right? Both you and I put in dozens of games with the deck, right? Yeah. And it did not once impress me with any kind of consistency. I found it to be an incredibly inconsistent deck. It seemed to hit its stride incredibly well against me, but I just had so many non-games playing that deck that in the end, it was it was a little surprising to me that it was such a player in the format. Agreed. Uh, it surprised me too, but I learned to keep it in my deck box for when I stopped playing aggro. If I kept queuing up against control decks over and over, I was like, all right, I'm getting my consecrated defense on. Let's my concerted go. Yeah. defense. Oh my god, that card's <laughs> such a blowout. Yep. I mean, again, in a blood on the snow format, that card is so nasty. <laughs> Got <him. laughs> to love it. Yeah, nice Auron's Epiphany, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you a lot to Wizards and the Arena staff for making that format happen. I just thought it was such a sweet format, and I will look back on it fondly. But now it is time for us to look forward. In Estrad Midnight Hunt, we have the full spoiler ahead of us. We have a lot to talk about. So, CGB, I'm going to I'm going to kind of name you the unofficial host of the show for this episode and take us into our review. So for the set review, a few things. One, you should listen to last week's show because we cover a lot of cards and on this show, we might mention those cards, but we probably won't read them and totally recap them again. So make sure that you listen to last week's show at least a bit to hear about, you know, 15 cards that we're not going to cover in depth here. And I've also broken it down into a number of categories, much like we did with the last show. We're going to go through various chunks of the set and talk about uh, what's important here and what might fit here. And because Innistrad is traditionally a very tribal plane with wolves, vampires, zombies, humans, spirits, etc, etc. I have it broken down into tribes, at least to start. And then there's some other spots on the thing that we're going to go through for like staple spells, uh, what I call the killers, which is all the good removal spells. And creature features is where we talk about the monsters of the set, like the cards that are specifically designed around these kind of very cool horror-y things. Think like the Gitrog monster from the past. And then broken, question mark, are cards at the end that we're going to try to break. We're going to try to just pie in the sky, think of the ways that this could go super right. So that's an overview of what's to come. And we're going to start in the wolf category. Now, the way we did this in the past is each of us would read a category. You down to do that again? Sure. Sounds good to me. Okay, then I'll take first shift. I'll take first watch. And we will dive in with the tribe that the set's all about, the wolves, werewolves. And the first card on my list to read here is called Primal Adversary. So Primal Adversary is the first of an adversary cycle. They are mythics. They are creatures. There's one in each of these kind of tribes, and we're going to cover all of them, I think, through this show. And Primal Adversary is two and a green so three mana for a 4-3 wolf with trample. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay one green any number of times. So this is like a weird multi-kicker kicker thing. But this enters the battlefield. It's not like multi-kicker where it's part of casting it. When it enters the battlefield, you may trigger this X many times for however much you can pay. And it's one in a green any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on the adversary. And then... Up to that many lands you control become 3-3 wolf creatures with haste that are still lands. What do you think? When I saw this card spoiled, I posted it on Twitter, and my post was, could we not? Wow. I think this card is... 
beyond the pale. I think this card is ridiculous. I don't understand why anyone would think this card wasn't just one of the best cards in the set. And uh, I'm a little worried about it. I won't give you that impression. This was probably the second worst of the adversaries. So clearly, clearly you don't agree with me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think I know why. I think I know what's up. Because Simic really? mages like Arjuna just assume they have a million mana at all times and barely dip their toe in green decks like me who assume that they're aggressive know that <laughs> they don't always have that much mana, or at least that's the way that we envision these cards. So let's have at it. Tell me about how this works for you. I will remind you that I got my start on the Arena Craft podcast as a noted mono green mage. So putting that credential out there, I stand by my assertion that this is just, I think this is a messed up magic card. Okay. One of the problems that has plagued green decks and uh, these mono green decks in the past is that it's always kind of hard to build your curve because you want to max out on really, really hard hitting cheaper creatures because when you get your curve right, you usually get the job done. They outsize everything else. You kill your opponent quick enough. So it kind of works out that way. One of the issues with these mono green decks is in figuring out what to do later in the game and having a cogent game plan for when your opponent scales up, right? And so we saw this in Standard 2022 where people were playing, you know, semi-awkward cards like the Gnarly Professor, trying out cards like Frog Hemoth, which I think was more like Frog Mimoth, in my opinion. And then, you know, some <laughs> sometimes sometimes your audacious opponents would like have some stupid curve that involved Vorinclex and it didn't really feel fair and it's kind of a bad card in the deck, but they kind of got there. And sometimes they'd probably die with Vorinclex still in their hand. And I always thought that was awkward too. I think Primal Adversary is just kind of a perfect answer to all of these problems. So let's let's talk about the play patterns with this card. All right, you can play this on turn three as a 4-3 trample. Is it the best thing you can do? No. Is it a perfectly playable and reasonable card you can play? Absolutely yes. Compare this to playing your Kazandu Mammoth on three, right? It was never like the best thing you could do, but it was totally fine. Okay, now let's think about playing this on five, which is the next realistic thing that you can do with this card. So if you play this on five mana, you don't get to attack with any hasty, but you essentially get a 5-4 trample and a 3-3, and they're both wolves. I can agree with this statement. I think you'll agree is like a lot of stats for five mana. Okay, it's spread across two bodies. That means that if one of them dies, you still got your money. Pretty dang dees, right? Now, if you play this for six, you can actually get a 3-3 haster out of the deal, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, if you play this on seven, you get two wolves, which neither of them can attack, right? But you do get two free wolves, basically. And then on eight mana, you can get in again with one of the wolves. So you're probably not going to do the eight mana thing very often, but I just think that this card answers so many of the problems that the deck has. It's an incredible top deck. It plays so well after a sweeper. This will happen a lot in the in the green deck where like your opponent sweeps the board and then you can just like slam this on five or slam this on six. And now you're just presenting two more threats for your control opponent to deal with. Another thing I want to know about all of these adversaries is that they play very well against control because if your opponent leaves up counter magic mm. they only get you for the front side cost right so it's so much better than kicker a final thing that i want to note about the adversaries is that it's an enter the battlefield trigger so if you exile these and return them to the battlefield if you get them back from the graveyard if you cheat them into play you can still spend the mana to get 
the effect. So in conclusion, I think this card is incredibly versatile. I think it doesn't just have to go into a mono green deck. You can play this in all kinds of decks. There are very rampy looking decks in the format. This could easily be like a closer in decks like that and a kind of card that can, you know, block in the early game and, and keep you alive, essentially. So yeah, I, I think this card is amazing. I agree with all that, which is the strange thing for me. Except for the word amazing, because for me, it's fine. I hear all that and I come around on fine. I don't know. It doesn't get me, it doesn't get me pogged up. It doesn't get me excited. Well, okay, let me ask you, like, would you rather put this card or Nald Professor in your deck? I mean, that's, God, you're talking about me. <laughs> I like cards a lot. <laughs> Yeah, you like. I might play Gnarled Professor. You like mediocre lessons. (laughs) I might. Yeah, mediocre mono green lessons. I might be in for it. I'm I'm telling you, I might play Gnarled Professor. I mean, this is such a better card in those mono green decks than Varinclex, right? Like, not even close. Yeah, not even close. So, I, I think part of it was you were talking about Mammoth, and my final version of Mono Green didn't run Mammoth anymore. It was like something I was like. This is not it for the format anymore. Just dies to everything, never gets through, you know? I like this better than Mammoth, but I'm not sure I like it better than Professor. I love that it crews Chariot on its own. Yeah, it does. That's really mm-hmm. good. I-, I like it better than Vorinclex, which is what you said. I like that it has Trample on its own, so putting counters on it with Ranger class is fine. I- I'm just not that excited about it. It, it feels like... Maybe a one or two of at the most, and like we might have better things. Okay, how about this? Uh, let's see you play this the turn after you hit them with Goldspan Dragon. Not bad. Not bad, right? Are you sure we don't have better things? I, I, I'm just like my 3-3 three, three lands getting in don't like... Think about a Gruul deck, right? I could just power right? up a creature. Let, let's put together like a Gruul deck with like Magda, Goldspan Dragon, Jaspira Sentinel, the Chariot. As you said, there is just so many busted curves, right? This can be such a sweet finisher, like the turn after you got your dragon down and put a couple of treasures on the battlefield, right? Just think about how the mana stacks up. Think about how much potential mana you can have access to with a goldspan dragon on the battlefield. Even if they deal with your dragon, it's leaving behind a treasure. So you could very, very easily just like curve into like the, the seven mana version of this card the following turn after a goldspan dragon. Does that not just seem nuts to you? You? Sounds like we're winning as much or more than we were winning with the gold span dragon. I okay, okay, we can we can agree that maybe this will impress, me, but I'm not excited yet. Maybe I'll get excited. All right, I'm totally cool. willing for that. I got two important questions for okay. you first. Number one: Are we going to be saying adversary or adversary on this? Oh, uh, I you know you're dealing with an Englishman here. So, all right, it's going to be adversary for me. All right, agreeing to disagree. Continue. Number two, what's going on with the lands turning into wolves? Explain how that happens. This wolf looks like it's headed down the hallway of a house. How is it turning lands into wolves? Yeah, that <laughs> you got me there, man. Okay, you got me there. Like I, I said, know. card sucks. Moving on. <laughs> The, the AstroTurf just rose up and became, well, I don't know, man. I can't explain it. All right. Let's keep our eyes on that card. That'll be yep. a fun one to come back to. Indeed. The next card on my list is Unnatural Moonrise. This is a red and a green for a sorcery uncommon. It reads, it becomes night. Until end of turn, target creature gets plus one plus oh and gains trample. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. The flashback is to an a red green. And when thinking about this card, also keep in mind cards from last week's show. Arlen 
The Pax Hope, Tolivar, Dire Overlord, two incredible daybound, nightbound cards that we discussed last week. And uh, yeah, this is a way to basically change it into night at a low cost. What do you think of this card? I considered adding this card to our lineup. I probably would have left it off if you hadn't put it on here. This is one of those like high upside, low downside cards, right? Mm -hmm. It's very swingy. So if your opponent's doing a good job of managing your board, you're going to hate having this card in your hand. But it's also probably going to lead to a lot of like kill them out of nowhere kind of game states. And the flashback is is pretty Ooh, cool. I forgot too. to mention the flashback. Yeah, two and a red green and you get to do it again. I mean, as far as like making it night, if your creatures, if many creatures in your deck are stronger on the night side, like having control over that sounds kind of brutal. It sounds a little messed up to me. Yeah, my call on this card is that it's going to be like a really swingy card. It's going to look really good in some spots and bad in other spots. I think this could be the kind of card which sees a lot of play week one, and then as the format develops, sees goes down to seeing no play. I can't tell if it's win a lot or win more. You know what I mean? Because you have to <laughs> yeah. be a little bit ahead. Yeah, things have to be going kind of well. And then when you play it, it's like, am I way ahead or was I going to win anyway? And this is just win more. And it could have been any removal spell or any kind of pump spell and I'd be better off. So I'm not sure. Yeah, agreed. I think people are going to try it. And yeah, my prediction is that it will see less play over the format and not more. All right, I'm going to go on to the next card. This is Brutal Cathar. This is in the wolf section because it is a werewolf, but it's also a human werewolf, so it could also go in the human section. This is two and a white for a 2-2, and it's a creature, and it's rare, and when it enters the battlefield or transforms, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. This is a daybound, and then the nightbound side is 3-3 first strike, ward, pay three life. So... A little bit of protection, a little bit of banishing priest. What do you think? I mean, the card's clearly strong, right? It's doing a lot when it comes down, and there are definitely scenarios in which you get at least two cards out of this. So that's not bad. I think if you have like ways to protect it, obviously it gets better. You do have to remember that playing two twos for three is kind of bad. So we need some kind of a plan with this card, right? This isn't like on the face of it, like Skyclave Apparition is in some cases a better card than this, but in some cases it's worse. So I think that's what we have to compare it to. Yeah, I think it's worse than Skyclave just on the front, but the idea that if your opponent doesn't play something and this flips, now you they have to pay this ward, you have a better body. And if it flips back to day... You get another. You thing. get another creature. That's yep. kind of messy yep. when you think about unnatural moonrise. Like you need to play two spells, right, to flip this back. So if one of them's unnatural moonrise and you flip this into the three three first strike ward, but you gave it like another plus one and trample, and you attack and you draw a card and you play any other spell and it flips right back and you exile another thing. That sounds nasty. I mean, it might be limited nasty, but it's nasty. No, I think this is the kind of card that could single-handedly win a game. And I think, you know, everyone who plays this format long enough, I think is going to have like Grona games, you know, where this thing exiles three of your creatures and just totally destroys you. And you're like, this card's messed up. I hate it. I think there are going to be other times when it just gets immediately frostbitten and you kind of wonder exactly what you spent your three mana on. So yeah, that's the range. So I'm going to say this now 
And it's a disparaging comment about the set, but I feel like it just has to be said. And this is what I remember from last time with Innistrad 2, is that these cards are designed to be super swingy. So there are going to be certain games where like you just get absolutely trounced and you feel like you never had a chance. And then there are going to be games where like your opponent's draw lined up against yours and your cards just look awful awful so i think we got to be prepared for the heartbreak man it's gonna be a roller coaster you are segueing into the next card perfectly let's get on this <laughs> okay. roller coaster take us there reckless storm seeker is two and a red for a human werewolf that is a two three rare at the beginning of combat on your turn target creature you control gets plus one plus oh and gains haste until end of turn this is the daybound side the nightbound side is a three four werewolf at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus two plus O oh, and gains trample and haste until end of turn. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. This is the ultimate swingy card, right? <laughs> it really like, is. If it lives, you just freaking destroy your opponent out of nowhere. But it's a uh, two, three for three. So, you know, the more I look at this set, the more I think like, yes, yes, play Frostbite, play all the Frostbites, play the full set, play set of Frostbites, do it, do it now. Maybe, maybe. It is a 3-3, it can target itself, so Mm -hmm. it can can be a 3-3 hasty attacker the turn that you play it. Not bad. I was like, ah, I I was very like meh on this, and then somebody was like, uh, oh, I know who it was, Uh, it was the Bash Bros podcast, was like, Asika's Chariot. Yeah, Asika's Chariot's gross. You play Asika's Chariot, you crew Asika's Chariot, you give it plus one plus oh in haste, you attack, and you make another creature. Like, that's so nasty. Here's the real question. Is Asika's Chariot actually the best card in Midnight Hunt? No, it's a it's Kaldheim <laughs> card. Why would you say that? Is this a joke? <laughs> no, I, the card, I think, has become better and better as standards gone on and it's seen more play to the point that a null was a card that people were sideboarding and playing in the main deck in the last challenger gauntlet which is insane and with everything else rotating like the card does start to look just increasingly a cut above like there are only a few cards hanging with it on the threat side like goldspan dragon goldspan yeah and chariot example seem to be just a cut above kind of in a class of their own yeah mm-hmm. i can't think of a, a third card that sits in that category i would say Alrin's um, epiphany maybe <laughs> you know how about the bloodstained the skullport merchant how about that does that fit in no skullport merchant <laughs> I'm messing, I want, I'm messing one of with these you. is I'm one of these is you. not like the other my friend <laughs> <laughs> he's trolling uh, I, he's trolling yeah man uh those those cards are absolutely wild and Very this good. card sits right there with chariot just saying you have to kill this or you have to kill the chariot but mm-hmm. just like we learned before if you're holding up removal and they play the chariot you don't have to crew the chariot the opponent can no. move to combat give haste to a cat and attack with those if you're like yeah. oh well i want to prevent the cat thing i'm gonna shoot one of these though then they crew the chariot and attack so you, you just end yeah. up getting got and you're down another removal spell yeah it's true having said all of that i don't know if reckless storm seeker ends up seeing play i think yeah i don't know i mean i okay the fail case of it being a three three haste for three is really not that bad yeah that for me that makes it a lot better the fact that it can target itself gruel spellbreaker like just got him for three a lot of times you yeah, know? it was pretty good. Pretty yeah, good, right? Pretty good. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 50-50 on this one seeing, like, sustained play. Oh, that's fair. I understand. I'm really curious about your take on this one. 
All right. So to jump to the next one, we're going to talk about Tovalar's Huntmaster. I hope I'm doing that justice. Four green green, human werewolf at rare, six six for six. When this card enters the battlefield, create two 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 green wolf creature tokens. That is the daybound side. The nightbound side says when it enters the battlefield or attacks, create two 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 green wolf creature tokens. Bottle brush, use that covert go blue wolf token. I don't want no generic wizards wolf tokens. <laughs> you heard me. Two green green open-ended ability. Another target wolf or werewolf you control fights target creature you don't control. Oh yeah, the backside's a 7-7. Seven, seven. You know what I'm seeing is that people are just going to want to curve Reckless Stormseeker into Tovalar's Huntmaster. If you play this thing with haste on night, it's, it's kind of game over, right? <laughs> I mean, like, that's, what, 10 power, 10 toughness? No more, 14. No, it's like 14. Yeah, no, and it's a 7-7. Seven, Actually, seven. It's, a se- fif- it's, it's a 15. 15. It's, fif- it's a 15 combined. You get four, four freaking wolves and a 7-7. Seven, seven. So, okay, I, I'm a little bit surprised, though, to see you add this to the list, only because this seems like a very not covert go blue kind of a magic card but here's the funny thing about this card is this best in werewolves i kind of feel like this is like a sideboard card against aggro in like a mid-range or rampy deck it does depend how much mana werewolves can make go floating about like we've mm-hmm. got the one werewolf that when it attacks adds a mana to the mana pool that doesn't leave the pool but i don't think that's enough mm-hmm. but then you have arlen and the arlen. night side of arlen pluses you yep. can go from four to six mana that way without playing another yeah. land. Arlen's butt ramps real nicely. That's that's very sure. So when I was looking at this card and I was thinking about where it goes, I wasn't sure, get it, where? Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure that it would go in the wolf deck as well because I see that deck as super aggressive. I like what you yeah. said about sideboard. If you want to be the bigger mid-range deck, it doesn't get much bigger. But yeah. here's what I thought about, and, and this is why I wanted your take. Simic Ramp. There's a lot of trying to get to seven, but you end up at six with that deck. Like you get to six reliably on four. Very easily. Hard to Mm -hmm. get to seven. Mm -hmm. And your good cards are sevens. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this like, if this is your six and Coma is your seven or All Run Epiphany is your seven, boom. Yeah, I totally see that. You know, like, for example, I was playing Mordenkainen in the deck. It was just like, what's my best six-drop option? It's Mm -hmm. probably this Planeswalker for that exact scenario. So, yep, that's it. When I look at this card, I see this as like a kind of a mid-range or a ramp card. Basically, any deck that wants to ramp, I think, should consider this card because, yeah, I mean, this thing comes down and, like, basically shuts the game down for your aggro opponent, and it also closes the game very quickly. Oh, yeah. Really fast. Even if you never get it on the night side, you know, it's like you still get 10 power and toughness across three bodies for six mana. And you can turn it sideways or you can say go. And and now you're threatening that the next time you attack, you just keep on bringing them out. This card, I think, is at an absolute house. When I look at it, I'm like, how is this dude a six six? Like, look at this dude. <laughs> it's a pretty burly. Well, just, you know. I guess when you have a literal werewolf living inside your body, maybe you get there. But I mean, I agree. I guess. Pretty, pretty. I mean, th- there's a lot of power and toughness stuffed inside that little top, little shirtless top going on there. So flavor text reading. Do you smell that, friends? Fear and despair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got coming on next here? This is one that you uh, 
You want it back in there. This is Outland Liberator. This is one and a green for a 2-2 human werewolf at Uncommon. One sacrifice Outland Liberator to destroy target artifact or enchantment. That is the day side. The night side is a 3-3 that I believe, I'm doing this off memory, uh, when it attacks destroy target artifact or enchantment the opponent controls. Yep. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, the Liberator has the Bron- thrashing Brontodon vibes. It really does. How do you think it stacks up against that card? That's a good question. It comes down earlier. It has kind of the flexibility that you can kill something right away for one less mana, which, I mean, in the moments where thrashing Brontodon was nuke your great henge, you'd prefer it to be three mana for that effect instead of four. The upside of I flip this and get to go Coglaw on your artifacts and enchantments is it can be good. I just don't know how you get there because you need your opponent to have artifacts and enchantments, but if they're playing artifacts and enchantments, then you're not flipping. Maybe. So Maybe. I, I feel like the back is flavor text unless you have another way to flip it like uh, Moonrise or something. Or maybe it happened earlier in the game because you played an earlier daybound, nightbound, and this enters on the night side. Uh, let's just note that this is almost certainly a sideboard card unless the format starts looking super nutty. Yeah, I think this card's going to be a player. I think people are going to run it. Looks just like a solid role player to me. It's almost like they were trying to guarantee that the werewolf deck filled out so that didn't have to run any card that weren't werewolves you know heaven know. forbid the deck have to run uh, return to nature you know yeah exactly <laughs> i know well and see that's the problem with cards like this right is that like they can just fit into your plan they can just get buffed along with the rest of the team they can proc all of your other werewolf stuff until it's time to to send them off to dreamland to get rid of your opponent's problematic permanent so yeah i i don't know I agree. I think this card, it's a little bit cheap. Mm -hmm. I almost wish it had been like something else. But anyway. I I also want to say, even though it is definitely a werewolf, it is cheap and just in green. And that is kind of a human thing too. And it is a human. It is a human. So you can just play it in humans. Show up in humans. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think you'll see it. To round out the category, I just want to remind people that Arlen the Pax Ope and Tavalar Dire Overlord, like we called these out last week as looking really powerful. Now that we've seen the rest of the wolves, I am comfortable saying that these two cards are incredibly good, that they are the backbone of a a pushed tribe. Like this is a real, a real tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. I think week one werewolves is going to be like the clear choice for people wanting to pound face. We're hitting the wolf run, baby. Yes, indeed. Yes, we are. Uh, Let's see if the next tribe can come along and uh, save face. So zombies is a kind of an evergreen tribe from magic. It's really been around since the beginning. And there have definitely been times in standard where zombies was the best deck. For example, a time when Jerry Thompson won the pro tour playing it. So let's see if they can redeem themselves a little bit here. Now, we've already spoken about this card, Champion of the Perished. One black creature zombie 1-1 whenever a zombie enters the battlefield under your control. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Champion of the Perished. I feel like the only thing I just want to say about this card is that this is more of an if the archetype is good card and not a this is going to make the archetype good card, in my opinion. Would you agree with me on that? I fully agree. And now that the set has been released, we, we've kind of seen what the other zombies look like. And we'll cover we'll cover a couple and we can circle back to it. But yeah, this is a good card if we can make zombies good. I'm not so sure they got there. 
I'm not sure I'm seeing it either, for sure. I mean, like, if you compare the werewolf tribe to the zombie tribe, it's kind of embarrassing, really. Yeah, it's cringe. <laughs> so <laughs> It's Walking Dead Season 8, not Walking Dead <laughs> Season 2, baby. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Uh, okay, so, so let's look at Tainted Adversary. Adversary. Now you're just trying. Now you're forcing it. <laughs> I heard that. Don't, don't think you got away with one. <laughs> Tainted Adversary. One on a black. Two, three. Creature zombie at mythic with death touch. Okay. Two, three death touch for two. Not bad. When Tainted Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay two and a black any number of times. When you pay this cost more than one times, that sounds weird to me, a one or more times. Put that many plus one plus one counters on Tainted Adversary, then create twice that many 2-2 two, two black zombie creature tokens with Decayed. Okay, so if we pay five for this thing, then we get a 3-4 death touch and two 2-2 two, two black zombie creatures with Decayed, which, Coverco Blue, I just don't think is that good i think this is the worst of the adversaries <laughs> and because i don't think a two three death touch for two is something that would ever see standard play i can't think of a time that that just happened yeah. and then the part where i think i might be wrong about zombies is if i'm undervaluing decayed I don't think I am. So let's talk about that, because from what I have deduced from this set, Wizards really doesn't value Decayed that highly. I mean, look at all of these cards where they're just slapping a 2-2 Decayed zombie on them. And like, if they were good, these cards would all be busted, right? And so they must not actually be that good. Yeah, there's a number of cards. I, I didn't write all the names down, but basically there's it's like four mana, put a creature on top of a library... Make a decayed zombie. Target creature yeah. gets minus two, minus oh until end of turn. Draw a card. Make a decayed zombie. Spell shrivel. Right. You know, counter target spell unless they pay four. Make a decayed zombie. And I look at those and I'm like, if there's enough zombie synergy, these cards are really good, except that decayed must really suck. And I think that's the case. The only way that the zombies deck does anything is, is if these cards are better than we believe them to be. Yeah, exactly. And... I mean, if you just think about it, right? So Decade has two drawbacks. Number one, yeah, can't really block. Bad. That's an ouch. Yeah, yeah. That's, in my opinion, the biggest ouch, right? And then number two, it dies when after it attacks, which is also pretty bad. So, yeah, I mean, you take away, like, most of what makes a creature good to begin with when you put those two clauses on it. You know what else is kind of missing? Anthems. Remember how many ways the zombies got swole? Yeah, that's in, a good point. In Amonkhet, like there were a lot. Yep. There's no Liliana's Mastery, I think it's called yeah. here. Oh, that card was amazing. It was an anthem and two zombies for five mana. Yep, that card was sweet. As an enchantment, which mattered a lot. So yeah. I, I don't see it for zombies. There's one more card that's kind of a tricky anthem. It's the next one. Yep. Okay, so this next card is Poppet Stitcher. Two and a blue for a creature-human-wizard at Mythic, by the way, which hurts, uh, which is a 2-3. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform Poppet Stitcher. So on the backside, it turns into Poppet Factory, which is an artifact. Creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 3-3. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform Poppet 
factory. So the joke here is that you make a bunch of tokens and then you turn them into just normal three threes. And then all of a sudden you have a massive army of three threes that don't have any of the downsides and you win the game, which, you know, if it does happen and if it does work is very grand and you feel good about life. So the question is, Kovac Go Blue, like how reliably do we turn this thing on? So you've got to play a two mana two three. That is not a zombie, by the way. It's a human wizard. Three mana, two, three. Yep. Three mana, two, three. My bad. It has to survive until your next upkeep. And on your next yep. upkeep, you have to control three or more creature tokens. Yep. That's... Which that's means you it. you spent your turn making some ugly little creature tokens that are probably decayed. And then you get to turn them into normal three threes. I just... I have a hard time seeing this as a good thing because... When is getting all of your tokens to lose their abilities a good thing? Doesn't that just mean you're playing really bad tokens? Well, I mean, if they're all bad, decayed zombies, the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And that's why I I just, this can't be a good strategy. I I just don't see it after seeing the spoiler. I don't see it. Well, if your entire deck sucks, if you don't have a flipped poppet factory, then yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's really bad, right? And again, we learned this from last time we went to Innistrad Crafties, that there are like all of these flip card build arounds. And that's what we learned is that like, if your deck sucks, unless you have the card and it's flipped, then yeah, it's just not going to be good. Yeah. Tough lesson. And we're going to come back to it a lot on this show, but it is a lesson if you want to, if you want to build a successful deck or early in a format. Yeah. Like focus on the cards that are good on both sides. Absolutely. And then we mentioned, of course, uh, last week, Jadar Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. It's the one one that makes a Zombo every turn. And uh, yeah, you know, this card's pretty good if the strategy is good. But again, it's like, here's the problem, CGB. I'm not seeing any of the cards that pull me into it, right? I'm not seeing the Arlen, yeah. right? I'm not seeing the yeah. the Tovala. Like I'm just not seeing the cards that make me think, oh, if I can build a shell around this, this is going to be absolutely busted. So that's really the problem. Here's my optimistic take. When you look at the list of cards we're going to talk about this week, we can see it. You can't. Wolves, pretty long. Humans, really long. Zombies and vampires, really short. Very short. Maybe the zombies are going to get buffed in Crimson Vow because we know vampires are. That just makes sense. Yep. But maybe there's more zombie action to come. You have to believe. Yeah, I know. Because otherwise they've done them dirty, right? They've done them real dirty. Real dirty. So speaking of which, I'm going to read the vamps too because CGB is going to have another long read ahead of him. So let's get into Bloodthirsty Adversary. One and a red. Two-two. Mythic creature vampire with haste. When Bloodthirsty Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay two and a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary, then exile up to that many target instant and or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them and get a bag of chips. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana cost. All right, now I have to go and breathe a little. It's like chips, like... You said a bag, so I thought chips in Britland was like fries. You know what? I've lived in the U.S. for over 20 years. Oh, oh now you're claiming the U.S. <laughs> after we say adversary. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of the bloodthirsty adversary? Oh, it's called super weird, dude. So, okay. So you can play it as a 2-2 hasty vampire for two. Not the worst. Definitely not anything to write home about. Then the next step up is it comes in as a 3-3 haste, and then you can recast an instant or sorcery for free from your graveyard, which could be good. 
But I guess the question is like, which aggressive red deck are we playing? Like probably like an aggressive red vampire deck where we're just going to have like a bunch of instants and sorceries lying around that we really want to copy. Obviously, like the case of playing this on five and like removing an opponent's blocker with your removal spell and getting in. Yeah, meh, eh, maybe that's good. Wouldn't gold span dragon just be uh, better? I don't know. So what, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? So... Mono red is kind of dead, but let's assume there's something like it. It might be in multiple colors, but you know, you get into the late game and you're like trying to turn the corner and your opponent was aggressive early and your life total is kind of low, but you do have to close them out before they draw enough royal eruptions to burn you out or whatever, you know? So you leave back one creature to block their one creature and you attack with one of your creatures. Well, now you have to consider if they have five mana, they can play the bloodthirsty adversary, pay the extra cost, make a three, three, flashback the removal spell, kill the blocker, and get in for three plus whatever's on the board. So that's a lot more than drawing a haste threat. That's drawing a haste threat and removing a blocker in one card. And it's a card that's modal earlier. So it's not like it does nothing on turn two if you need something on turn two. It gets in there. You know, Robber of the Rich has gotten in there plenty of times and won games without ever casting the spells off the robber. So did you play much Goblin Dark Dwellers? I mean, that was a beloved card. It was, People but I mean, that come card. on, like, that didn't have the three or less clause, did it? It did. Oh, it did? Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, same, okay. Like, same wording as far as the plus one, plus one counters goes. It was a four, four menace instead of a three, three haste. Right. Okay. I mean, that card did a fair amount of work, I think. I think the haste is better than the menace. Yeah, I'm not saying this card is bad. It might just be that we've gotten used to, like, busted mono red decks. Yeah. This just seems, like, pretty good. Like, it's good. It's good. And especially in a vampire deck, it's better, but... It needs a bang boom card to get back. Yes. It needs a light up the stage. Yeah. It needs a unlicensed disintegration, you know, but like for vampires. It, it needs something that you flash that back. Oh, that's a that's a heavy hit. That's going to sting. You know what it needs is you see a pair of goblins. It needs that kind of a card, right? Because now if we had like you see a pair of vampires, that would be sweet, <laughs> right? What? You you want two Dude. tokens? You want two tokens? I'd take them if they had haste. Maybe you see pay a, a pair of hasty vampires. Well, so check this out, right? So like you play, you see a pair of goblins on turn, you know, three, right? For the three mana. And then a couple turns later, you uh, play Bloodthirsty Adversary, flash the spell back, give the team plus two plus oh. Give the not team bad. plus two plus oh. Okay. I, I don't know, man. I'm not feeling yeah. that. I'm not excited. I'm just saying that if you have some kind of a spell like that, which is like an anthem, right? Or some kind of, you can just do like a lot of burst damage out of nowhere kind of a thing. Like if you replay a spell that's buffing the team or having some other kind of global effect is the kind of thing that for me would make a card like this a lot more dangerous. I suppose. I I guess I want more out of it. And and I'm control mage and I like goblin dark dwellers. So the idea of killing something and dealing a little damage is a lot more appealing to me than going wide. I'll be real. Like, I don't think this is one of the stronger adversaries. I think this is towards the weaker end. I think think it's towards the stronger end. Okay, cool. We'll have to see how that one breaks. Yep. Okay, Slaughter Specialist. Of course, in England, we say Slafter. So there you go. One on a black, three, three. Creature Vampire Warrior at rare. When Slaughter Specialist enters the battlefield, each opponent creates a 1-1 white human creature token. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Slaughter Specialist. So, I mean, oh boy, is that a lot of power and toughness on a two-drop, which keeps getting 
bigger. So the real question is, is giving your opponent a 1-1 human creature token enough of a downside? I wasn't going to talk about this because I think it will see no play because of that downside. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you really think so? Yeah, I really think that giving your opponent a chump blocker that they can use for a number of other things, whether attacking, blocking, sacrificing, I think it is too much to give the opponent a piece of cardboard. I just don't see it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on the format. If there are a lot of sack decks going around or a lot of good humans decks, then yeah, that's going to be a big downside. But I'm not so sure. I mean, if your opponent chump blocks this with said 1-1, it becomes a 4-4, right? So I don't know. This could have a lot of like pelt collector to it right i guess but i mean it's only when it dies so maybe you're firing off the removal and they're not interacting with this whatsoever i yeah i still don't believe I'm not a believer you know i'm definitely not like going to bat for it but i think it's a powerful card i think people are gonna try it and then let's talk about falcon wrath perforator this is one of those cards that you don't love to play but sometimes you feel like you have to play so, one and a red, two one creature vampire. Whenever Falcon Wrath Perforator attacks, it deals one damage to defending player. So, this reminds us of the Scorch Spitter. This is Scorch Spitter, which costs one mana more and has one more power and is a vampire. So, what do you think, CGB? Is this draft chaff that no one's going to play? She's hot. Uh, she's definitely red it's arjuna in a nutshell that you're not excited about the adversary but oh give me a two one for two that gets me a little spectacle action when hey man this is all i'm gonna say i've seen mono red mages play some heinous cards all right they play some heinous cards to get that damage in so think about the fact that this turns on all of the cards which say your opponent needs to have taken damage right so this is gonna make your two one for one vampire a lot stronger stronger this is going to basically give you that spectacle as it were so i don't know maybe it's not good enough but if it had haste or a way to gain haste i'd be excited Mm. i'm not gonna get excited about it as it is okay yeah fair enough i i think people will consider it i think you will play against it on the ladder all right i'm gonna turn it over to you cgb take us into the humans we're going to human town baby the humans are fighting back. They always are well represented on Innistrad. So our first back to one, Gavini. Yep, back to Gavini, baby. <laughs> Number one, we got Adeline Resplendent Cathar. This is one white white for a rare human knight, legendary. It's a star four, and the star is power is equal to the number of creatures you control. This card is vigilance, and whenever you attack, for each opponent, create a 1-1 white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. Got some Brimez vibes. Did you ever play with Brimez? No. So yeah, Brimez was a a 3-4 vigilance for three. Really hyped card that didn't get a lot of standard play. And what people realized is you just put like an 0-4 in front of it and they're just making a 1-1 every turn until it doesn't matter. But this one scales, you know, this one hits harder and harder and harder. It, It really does have a lot of damage output. Yeah. The only problem with this card is like, is it just better than your other threes? No, I think that it might be a companion to those threes, but yes, it's the toughest spot in magic. In standard, right? (laughs) It's the toughest spot in standard right now, for sure. Elite Spellbinder, Skyclave Apparition feel like they have to get played to some extent. There's the new Banishing Priest that turns into a Wardy Wolf that's going to try to compete in that same space. Redain just lurks around and people debate whether or not it's good. Yeah. Yeah. A Mall of Skyclaves is a card that would go great with this card. 
But yeah, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of decks who look at a mall of Skyclaves on this thing. And what are you going to do? It has vigilance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, I mean, it's true. Yeah. This card goes into the category of I would consider it and then probably just play a Spellbinder instead. Yeah. I think it's like a one or two of. I don't think it's going to be more, but this might be more than it looks. I, I'm okay. wary of it. Fair. I mean, there are board states where it's just going to be massive. All right. Are you ready for the adversary? Take us into the adversary. <laughs> so this is Intrepid Adversary. This is one and a white for a creature. Human Scout. Mythic. 3-1 body. Has lifelink. And when it enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a white any number of times. Uh, when you pay this one or more times, put that many valor counters on the adversary. So not plus one, plus one counters. It's important difference. These are yep. valor counters. And the rest of the card explains the card. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each valor counter on Intrepid Adversary. So it buffs itself and the rest of your creatures equal to the number of times you kind of kick it. What do you think of this one? I, I think you'll agree with me that neither of us is going to disagree on how good this card is. This card is nuts. Nuts. I think this card's nuts. So nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. We kind of learned that Benelish Marshall, you know, even though super narrow, just having an anthem effect on a creature with a good power toughness of its own was really good. And this might be four mana to get that, but that's okay. Because if it were three mana, it might see no play because of what we talked about. And at kind of either being a two mana card that puts pressure on the opponent or a four mana card that buffs your squad, that's like the perfect place for the card. Yep. So again, you know, one of the issues with these white decks is that you don't want to play too many lands because you're playing a bunch of one and two drops you know a lot of these white decks kind of want their cards to top out at three and then you know we've used cards like paladin class to kind of fill in or maybe you're just trying to turn on faceless haven at that point or whatever this gives you in my opinion a more impactful thing to do with your mana on the later turns of the game mm -hmm. and you know for those rare games when you flood out and get to like six mana oh my god you just slam this and uh if you have any kind of a board presence whatsoever, the game's probably over. Yeah, uh, it's solid card. It's for sure. really good, man. And this card's really good. I learned really fast going from standard mono white, which had Alcide of Life's Bounty, to standard 2022 mono white, that not having a lifelink body hurt the deck pretty badly. Because there were a lot of games where you're in a creature versus creature matchup, and it's like, okay, I can absolutely dominate this game by putting all my plus one, plus one counters on the lifelinker. Just let the lifelinker carry me. Give it flying or vigilance, and this is easy mode. And that was not available in standard 2022 because the lifelink cards were bad. Well, here's just a random card that can do so much but happens to have lifelink. So now, once again, we can just buff this thing up to dominate the creature matchups. This card's great. Dude, I'm just thinking, it's in Historic. Does that green-white card, which when it comes down, proliferates? It's a two-drop. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It's like, a, is it a snake? It's like a two-three, and when it comes down, you can proliferate. Card that enters the battlefield and proliferates? Because I'm thinking I, of things that double counters, but not proliferate. Uh, yeah, anyway, I don't remember what the name is of the card, but I think in Historic, you could get some proliferate shenanigans going on. Like with plus one, plus one counters and cards like this, where you're just going to just annihilate the game very quickly. There's a lot of ways to annihilate everyone on around turn four in Historic. This yeah, could be one of true. them. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> true. This could be one of them. Yeah. All right. This, this is probably top 10 in the set, though. Like, we didn't oh, yeah. make a top 10, but I think this is a hard competitor. Yeah, I think this is probably the best adversary. Yeah, I can buy in. I'm with you. 
So the next card I'm going to talk about in my human category is the Sigardian Savior. And Sigardian Savior is not a human, but I put it in this category because I feel like it's going to play mostly with those humans. Yep. This is actually an angel. It's three white white for a mythic 3-3, three, three, five mana 3-3 three, three, flyer. So far, it's a limited all-star. But when this card enters the battlefield, if you cast it, return up to two target creature cards with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Wow. <laughs> two creatures. Yep. yep. I mean, this card's great. <laughs> um, I think this card's a reason to play more than 22 lands in your white deck personally and especially like this is the kind of card that only gets better as long as you know as standard rolls along you're going to get more and more targets i think this is the kind of card that could show up in all kinds of decks think about ozov sacrifice decks yeah this this card just looks great to me yeah probably as a number of homes i i think starting in white you just get back your luminarch aspirants and guess what your intrepid adversaries and (laughs) oops and and you just kind of torture them by making them go through all this nonsense again. Somebody's going to mess it up, so I'm going to say it. The card does have a safety valve that says when it yep. enters the battlefield, if yep. you cast no it, return two creatures. Doesn't work with teleportation circle or Yorian-type effects. Mm-hmm. Blinking it won't get you the effect. Also, you can nerf it with mm. Elite yes. Spellbinder. That is correct. Because that doesn't come in from the mm-hmm. hand. So something to think about when you're playing against yep. this card. This just looks like a player like i'd be shocked if this didn't end up in at least one tier one deck in the format and it's the kind of card that could enable multiple archetypes yeah all over the place at least in week one and we'll see how it turns out as a five mana play going later into the format so i'm gonna move to another human this is augur of autumn this is one green green two three at rare it's a human druid and you may look at the top card of your library at any time you may play lands from the top of your library But wait, there's more. Coven, you may cast creature spells from the top of your library if you control three or more creatures with different powers. So if you've got enough bodies on the field and they have different powers, you have a Corsair of Crufix type card for that gets you land, but it can also play creatures. And that can be a good amount of the things in your deck. What do you think? Don't these cards just not really get there anymore, though? I know. I've had that same feeling lately, <laughs> you know? it's. I mean, it looks so good, but I feel like we've just had card after card after card, right? We've had the uh, Rada... Mm-hmm. We've had what was the shapeshifter version Realm of this? Walker. Yeah, exactly. And those cards haven't really gotten there, and they haven't even been close, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's been an Eldraine world, and people blame the Eldraine world. Here's another interesting take, something to try to think about. We said that party, like, for the whole time that we were talking about party cards on this cast when they were being previewed, we were like, it's a scam. You just never have three creatures. Or four creatures, right? Mm -hmm. And Coven kind of has a similar thing going. But look at what happened with Party when Eldraine wasn't available in Standard 2022. Maybe... Yeah, when Bone Crusher was out of the picture. Yeah. So Coven... Is Coven a scam? Uh, I mean, I think it's a good comparison with Party. I think they're about as likely to happen. I mean, here's the good news with Coven is that most curves you're going to build in standard do involve different powers right so like if you're just playing your normal deck and you're kind of curving out and etc you should be able to hit it 
But of course, it's easy to disrupt. It's also easy for your opponent to throw you off Coven, right? So I think that makes this a little bit weaker, I think, than Party in that I think it's a little harder to throw off Party, especially when these decks have like Shapeshifter or they have these cards that say it has all the types, right? Whereas like in your typical curve, you're going to have like that 2-2 two, two for 2 that's good in your deck. And then you're going to have like that three drop, which has the thing, and then like the four drop, which has the thing, right? And then maybe you play like two of the same card in a match and you finally get your coven together and play your third or your fourth creature, a fifth creature that rounds out the coven and then your opponent can just kill whichever one the good takes one. you off of it. So the good one. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think coven's going to be a scam. I wouldn't build your deck around coven. I think it's, I think it's just gravy. Yeah. I also don't like the idea of playing a coven card that is off that curve. So, like, this is three mana yeah. for a two-power creature. That's a good point. I mean, you better hope that yeah. your two-mana creature was Pack Leader, you know, a three-power creature. Yeah, some kind of, yeah, three-one, exactly. If it was Ranger exactly. class, exactly. then you just got, you got two creatures of the same power. This card is cool, and I'm not excited about it in standard. Yeah, it's going to feel real bad. It's just the way yeah. it is. The next card we're going to talk about is another green one and another green three drop competing for this spot, which is Briarbridge Tracker. This is two and a green for a two, three human scout. It has vigilance. And when the tracker enters the battlefield, investigate. As long as you control a token, the tracker gets plus two, plus oh. So what do you think about three mana for a four, three vigilance that you can draw a card later? How the mighty have fallen, Kovac Go Blue. It's not Tireless Tracker. <laughs> you know, people complain about power creep. Uh, I tell you what, this is an example of how power ain't creeping. This card's fine. I think people are going to play it. I think you're going to find a lot to like about it. I think it's definitely worth putting it in various decks. It is not Tireless Tracker. Is there any deck where you would play it over the Adversary? Well, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> I think the Adversary is pretty much the better version of this card. It's uh, The Adversary isn't a human, right? So... Yeah, correct. It's a wolf. Okay, if you're playing them on three, then this card is probably better. You get the card advantage, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to decide when to turn it back into a 2-3 by sacking your clue. Or if you have any other tokens, it, that doesn't happen. But in pretty much all other situations, I'd much rather just have the adversary. Wouldn't this card be just fine, considerably better, higher ceiling, but not broken? If it said it gets plus two, plus oh for each for token each you token? control? Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. My Magda poops out a lot of treasures, you know? So, yeah, Asika's Chariot, let's go. It, it could get out of hand. I yeah. mean, that sounds awesome to me. That sounds like Annex. Dude. Green Annex. Dude, at that point, I'd be thinking about playing the Flingland, you know? Mm, you would. You would. <laughs> now, I, this card, maybe there's like green-white humans. I think you need to be in for the humanness or in yep. for the artifact. You know, yeah. maybe Oswald Fiddlebender turns the clue into a portable hole and you're just living your best life. But I, I yeah. yeah, I thought this card was fine when I first saw it. And as I've seen more cards, I it keeps moving down. You know, <laughs> you know what, what I mean? this is, CGB? This is Tired Tracker. Tired Tracker. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I, I won't even call it Tireless Tracker at home. It's it's so far from it. It's yeah. yeah. The, the track has seen better days, that's for sure. But let's talk about a card that you put on the list. This is Search Party Captain. And this is one I almost put on the list, so 
definitely had my attention. Three and a white for a 2-2, human soldier. So four mana 2-2, awesome. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Mm, (laughs) Sure. But then it has this line that this spell costs one less to cast for each creature you attacked with this turn. So... Yeah, you could get a two or a one mana two two that draws a card when there's a battlefield. Tell me what you're feeling. I mean, that's it. You know, I think if you pay two and or one mana for this card, you're going to feel pretty good. It's definitely going to be awkward. You probably don't run four. Opening hands with multiple of these feel real bad. But, you know, the ceiling on this card is pretty disgusting. It is. You know, you can have a scenario where, like, you swing in, you play two of these... You draw two cards, you still have a bunch of mana open. Pretty good. I was imagining, like, when you look at this card, you imagine, like, the get-ahead scenarios where turn one, you, like, you play the two-one. Turn two, you play two cold spell clerics. I know that's what you were thinking. And then turn three, you attack with those three creatures. You're on the play, of course, because you are the white player on the standard uh, 2022 Never doesn't happen, right? Never doesn't happen. (laughs) And you attack with those three creatures, and then you play three search party captains. And it's like burning tree emissary, right? Someone's going to do that to me on day one. And I'm going to just flip my desk. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be on day one, guaranteed. I wasn't going to talk about it because I think that the situation where it's winning is like so good. And the situation where you're behind is so bad. Pretty bad. In my opinion. Pretty bad. There's a few things that make this a little better. So for example... You're going to feel okay making some bad attacks if you have this to follow it up with, right? Like, you're going to feel okay making some suboptimal attacks. Like, maybe you're like, eh, that's not a very good trade, or maybe I'm throwing away, like, a 1-1 or something like that. But I think that if you get to drop this and draw a card, then I think it's going to be a lot better. One of the interesting tensions with this card is that when you're putting it in, like, a Clarion Spirit deck, there are scenarios, again, in which it plays amazingly with the Spirit, and then scenarios where it plays poorly. So, for example, if you have one or more Spirits already, those are often free attacks. Your opponent usually doesn't have flying blockers, so they can really turn on a card like this. But again, this doesn't help you to make the spirits unless you've already attacked with a bunch of stuff. So just a a really interesting card. I think it's a really cool design. I think if someone can solve the the deck building challenge with this card, it could actually be really good. Okay. Challenge accepted. I think I think I think how many you play in my opinion is the interesting question because I I don't know man it's really hard for me to see this as a far off right like you just mulligan too often I think when you play this as a far off and or lose yeah you've got to be able to get paid out of attacking in a number of ways like yeah. this can't be the only one and you sure. can't just assume that you get to attack every turn so you need to be able to clear blockers or have really good combat tricks you know, something like that, that really messes with the opponent when they're thinking about how to deal with you. Yeah, yeah. Cool card. All right. I'm going to move to a very different card. This is Catilda the Dawnheart Prime. This is a legendary creature human warlock at rare. It's a green and a white, so two mana for a 1-1. One, one. It has protection from werewolves. Pause. Hallelujah. And human creatures you control have tap to add one mana of any of this creature's colors. Uh, This is a human, again, by the way. But it it gives this to all the humans. And it also has the ability for a green and a white to put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. That's six mana and a tap, for those of you keeping track. Expensive ability. But I, I put this on the list because there's a lot of these humans. A lot of them are cheap. 
you can probably have a board, and if you play this, all of them can be tapped for mana. They gain the ability right away. Is there something we're doing with a ton of mana and the human tribe? Like, they can just turn on a bunch of stuff. Waltzing Katilda, waltzing Katilda, you'll come waltzing Katilda with me. Only a small portion of people listening will get that reference. But anyway, that's the only thing that I hear when I read this card. Um, boy. Uh, I think that this is one of those, like, dream scenario cards that doesn't get there. Really? Yeah, I mean, I think that people are, like, envisioning Gaia's Cradle when they play this card. And then I think your opponent's just gonna, like, play a shambling ghast and laugh in your face. I mean, but the cost is so low, right? On its own, it's a mana dork. So the floor isn't bad. And if they kill it, they're not killing something else. Okay, so question number one, how many do you play? I don't know. Three if it's important to your deck, maybe. Four if Mm -hmm. it's like 100% the centerpiece. Because nothing's better than playing a must-kill card that's legendary, having them kill it, and having another. Yeah. Eh. Eh. Mm. I mean, in a Selesnia deck, it's 100% better than, like, you know, whatever your Dryad is, right? Whatever your two-mana 1-1 dork. So I totally give you that. Card's powerful. There are definitely going to be, like, Christmas scenarios where, you know, you drop this on a key turn when you already have a bunch of humans, and then you tap and make a bajillion mana and you play something else, right? But here's the question that we need to answer, right? What deck are we running which, A of all, has enough super cheap humans in it and b of all (laughs) as a use for all that mana right because if katilda is your main mana sink not good enough now we don't have march of the masses or whatever that card was called which we had march of the multitudes march of the multitudes right that would have been a perfect card to pair with katilda so that's my question to you covert go blue is where's all the mana going i suppose if it's going into the white adversary there are worse things that you could do with your life but you're not going to get that hasty attack in with the buff so eh, i don't know i don't know man i don't know if you saw it but i i built an elf deck that ran circle of dreams druid and played a turn four tarask only to have it get, <laughs> okay. literally get soul shattered oh no <laughs> This, my friends, is why we pay attention to whether magic cards are good or not. (laughs) Um, But no, I I almost put Katilda in the broken question mark category that we're going to get to, because I do Mm. think that it doesn't fit into the typical deck. It fits Mm. into a special deck. And Mm -hmm. uh, there might, it might exist. I think there's a chance. Okay, here's a question. How much play has that green elf that taps for a green for each creature you control? How much work is that one put in? Circle of Dreams Druid. That's the one. Look, my my elf deck, people loved it. They just didn't <laughs> win games, okay? So however you want to find success. <laughs> this is so much easier to cast. It's a better tribe right now, by a mile. I mean, this thing's going to block trampling werewolves all day and not die. So <laughs> that's a nice oh my thing. God. <laughs> if you can't tell crafties, I'm a little down on this card. I see the potential, but... I don't know if you do. Just keep kicking it. Keep kicking it while it's down. Go on. (laughs) Yeah, someone's going to have to show it to me. And here's the thing, man. You're going to have opening hands with like three lands, two of these, and two other like tiny little humans. And you're going to wonder why you ever decided to roll out of bed that morning. The next card that is going to show Arjuna right in the face (laughs) is Rem Karolus. 
the stalwart slayer. This is one and a red white legendary creature, human knight at rare, two, three for three. And it has flying and haste. And if a spell would deal damage to you or another permanent you control, prevent that damage. All of that damage. And if a spell would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it deals that much damage plus one instead. What do you think? Uh, card's spicy. It's got plenty of text on it. I don't know who's going to be playing Boros, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like this is a cool card in search of a deck. That's how I feel. I feel like you feel like non-green decks are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the incentive? Where's the incentive? Um, (laughs) So Rem, I think, is a a good card with good shell around it. And I'm worried that none of the burn spells in the world go face anymore. And that that's going to really take the edge off of Rem. I, I just feel like we have a new Bone Crusher Giant in standard, and it's actually just called Frostbite. That's how I feel. Oh, man. No, it's not. No. I mean... I'm only kind of kidding. Look at how many X3s for three we have in this format. It's embarrassing. I agree with that. And I think that people are still going to run like Dragon's Fire a lot more. I I think that Frostbite is literally relegated to monocolor decks only based on lands that are available. And what's going to happen there? Could be. Could be. But I mean, even Dragon's Fire, you're still up the mana, right? So, But you're also saying that they had to hold up that mana and you don't have to play into it. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, come on, like if you're building your deck. Okay, let's look at what this card has going against it. It's a three drop. It's a two three. It's legendary, okay? Those are already like three things that suck about the card. So I just feel like the deck building cost of putting in like three drop legendary humans that aren't super epic is pretty high. And I don't know. I just like, if people know this is coming, yeah, they're going to leave up the mana for it. You know, even if they don't, like you got in for two haste, cool. They just kill it the next turn, right? And have one to two more mana available as well. So I just feel like this card has a lot going against it. You know, like, okay, compare this to Tajik. How does this line up against Tajik? It doesn't matter. Not currently in standard. Okay, fair enough. But how much play did Tajik see? A decent amount, especially Uh, early. Not by the end. But I mean, this one has evasion. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just like, I I see why you picked the card. I see why the card is compelling. I just don't, I'm just kind of not feeling it. You're just not Boros. You're not Boros, man. Even if you are Boros, is this really what you want to be doing? Wow, Ask a Boros Mage, I guess. (laughs) Can we get an Ask a Boros Mage segment on the show? Where do we find those? (laughs) Do they still, are they out there? (laughs) All right. They're hanging out with all the Grixis players, you know? Oh, God, no, they're not. (laughs) Those two don't get along. That's wolves and vampires right there. All right, so we're going to go on to another card for Arjuna to dump on. This is Sigarda, Champion of Light. You told this me is... you were going to put good cards on this list. Oh Kabuka. my god. This is one green, white, white for a 4-4 four, four flyer at Mythic. It's an angel, and it's in the human category because it has flying trample, and humans you control get plus one, plus one. It also has the might-be-scam text of Coven if... You control three creatures of different powers. When this attacks, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a human from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. So, what's wrong with this card? You know, the three words that stood out to me on this card were if, when, may. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I look at a creature, I see CMC4, I see if, when, may. (laughs) That's what I see on this card. (laughs) Wow. Okay, well, I I will say that I think that you should, when looking at this card, the coven should be flavor text. If I could just not see it all, if we crossed it out, uh, I think it would be a fairer evaluation. But I'm not going to say that a four mana, four, four flying trampling angel that buffs all humans is necessarily bad it doesn't suck no i mean this card's very far from sucking i also just think that like okay kavaka blue what does it take to make a four four flyer for four playable and standard every set they ask us this question every set they print at least one four four flyer for four when when was the last time these cards were like competitive <laughs> hold on i swear to god there was a four four flyer that we talked about earlier that one. you were like I found you, yeah, one. There was. You were like, yeah, four, four, flyer for four. That's not a bad. That's not bad. <laughs> I swear that we did this. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I I'm mean, just... <laughs> I don't know, man. And, and here's the thing, right? They all seem like they should be good. They all seem like they should be good. And if you play limited, they look great, right? But I don't know. It's weird, right? It's weird. Like, they make a 4-4 four, four flyer for 5 called Goldspan Dragon, and it's like the freaking scourge of the format, right? So you would imagine mm-hmm. if you took a card like that and made it a bit worse, it should still be good. These cards just aren't very good, so I don't know. Well, you need about a card's worth of value. If it said draw a card, it would be good. Would it? I, I mean, yeah. Would you play like it? Legion, would- Legion Angel is a 4-3 that draws a Legion angel and people like really like that the only reason that card's good is for the chance to get like many of them right yeah yeah i mean that's what draw a card is chance to draw more (laughs) play more i mean you need to get enough out of the static ability that even if it dies the next turn you did something so humans you control get plus one plus one has to mean your board crashes in for a load of damage and if it does it's probably worth it I mean, maybe you play this as like a one-of, you know? Uh, I could see yeah. that. If the Selesnia human decks is a, th- a human's deck is a thing, you definitely consider putting this in. It crews the chariot, which is nice. Makes a good card better. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I kind of see, I kind of see what you're going for here. I kind of see what Wizards is going for with this card. I think part of what's coloring my evaluation is just like, when was the last time Selesnia was any good? Oh my god. We're just going all the way down the like you gotta you gotta try to see the future you gotta hope Uh, next time i'm gonna break this down into guild so i can go down the list of what selesnia has to offer but fine fine we're gonna go from cards that arjuna dumps on to cards arjuna wanted to talk about this is sun gold sentinel one and a white for a 3-2 human soldier at rare. 2 mana, 3-2. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, exile up to one target card from a graveyard. It has the ability Coven! And you choose a color for one in a white, and it gains hexproof from that color until end of turn and can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. Activate only if you control three or more creatures with different powers. So, tell me how great this is. What's cooking? Okay, sweet. So first of all, three, two, four, two. Fairly good stat line, right? Meh. Okay. Hard to impress Kovac Go Blue. And it's a human. Pretty good, right? Yes. One and a white. Not bad. Can play it in decks that don't just have white in them. And it can exile stuff from graveyards, which is pretty cool. I mean, maybe it'll be cool. Maybe it won't be. So I think the playability of this card is entirely going to depend on what's going in the graveyard. I yeah, I think I you'll agree with me that this card sees no play if there aren't like good graveyardy things. Yeah, agreed. I actually wasn't going to put this on the list because I think there's a high chance it sees no play. 
Okay, I definitely fall back on what we were talking about with Coven not being, like, amazing. I think that this card helps to enable Coven. You know, three power creatures for two, they exist. White has some other of them, like the Hound, for example. So. Intrepid Adversary? Yeah, I guess that, that card kind of makes this worse, doesn't it? It does. It's probably, I mean, you definitely play the Adversary before you play this, right? I don't know. And then Elite Spellbinder? has three power it does it does yeah but i just think like i think that white low to the ground decks in particular are going to have like lots of one power creatures lots of two power creatures and lots of three power creatures and i think that they're decks that are more likely to get something like this turned on i'm not saying it's going to be a staple but i think this card has enough text on it i think it could see sideboard play okay i i'm into it and who knows maybe graveyard theme stuff is going to continue. I don't yeah. think there's enough in this set to justify it, to be honest. I would agree. And we don't have any Uros. We don't have any of that kind of nonsense going on. So, yep. All right. Well, I'm going to save Covert Go Blue from the, the abject horror of having to read mediocre cards. And uh, we're going to read some staple spells, which it's hard to imagine these cards being bad because we put them in the staple category. So let's go. First card... Ritual of Hope. One and a white instant at uncommon. Creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. And they have Coven. If you control three or more creatures with different powers, creatures you control get plus two plus one until end of turn. I feel scammed. I thought you were going to put yeah, staples. Yeah, Got you. I, no, you you I, got me, bro. What's I, going okay. on? <laughs> I actually think this one, I think that this is one of those cards that people aren't going to get excited about at all like you probably read it and you're like oh whatever and then i think it will be like a two of in all of the good white aggro decks which i think are going to be like the best decks Hmm. Uh, pride of the conquerors is what it reminds me of and by the end like people kind of understood that card another one is unbreakable formation that's a card that was a little bit of a slow burn and got more and more play and i think that the current version of the deck if you're going to keep the clarion spirit code spell cleric style of get like six creatures on the board on turn three that this card is just lights out that, that it needs like a a bang we're done here i think this kind of does it i mean you never play this card in a deck that has paladin class though right i don't think you play paladin class okay how about the adversary the adversary i think uh you play but i still think that this can go like uh one or two of in addition to that I don't disagree with your evaluation of the card. I just think that other existing playable cards in the archetype seem to cover that ground better. So this is one of the cards I wanted to talk about when you were talking about Search Party Captain, where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I attack with three creatures. They're obviously just trying to play their captain, but then you play this and you just dominate them and their blocks. That's a Gautam. That's a Gautam. Yeah. And then you play Search Party Captain anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a got him. Another thing that's an interesting tension is the uh, that two-mana enchantment buff, right? What's that one called? Rally the Ranks? Rally the Ranks, yeah. I don't know. I guess if you have all humans, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess it competes for the spot. If you're off Usher of the Fallen and you're off some of these other cards. That's the main thing I want to say about it. You know what deck this goes right into is the frickin' Selesnia Magecraft deck. I mean, mm-hmm. this has got to be yep. awesome in that deck, right? It's okay if you have enough creatures. It depends, like, how many creatures you're playing out. Against board wipes, you don't play that many out. And I think that there are some better cards for that deck. Uh, maybe, but think about, like, a spell which... Okay, so it gives you Luminarch Aspirants plus three power on the cast. 
And then with your Leon and Light Scribes, that's an additional three power on the cast, right? Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. If you have like three or more creatures out, it's, whew, it's a yeah. lot. So eh, we'll see. Okay, next card, Sunset Revelry. Revelry. One and a white sorcery at Uncommon. If an opponent has more life than you, you gain for life. If an opponent controls more creatures than you, create two one one white human creature tokens. If an opponent has more cards in hand than you, draw a card. I know why you put this card on here. Control needs staples too. <laughs> CGB needs his staples. So this is what? This is like reinforcements at home, basically? Yeah. Yeah. But is it? It's it's actually a mana cheaper. <sighs> do you think this card's playable? Yeah, I do. I think I'll that, have to see. I'll have to see. I mean, like, the meta is, on best of one ladder, is dump your hand and make it work out a mm-hmm. lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go up against decks that aren't like that, like Goldspan Dragon, I, I don't know how you make this that great, but they're going to try to keep their hand full, so maybe mm-hmm. you just draw a card with it. At worst, you just cycle it if you're not keeping up on cards, but against White Aggro, Green Aggro, Gruel Aggro, Jasper Sentinel plus anything, it is really conceivable that you're going to get the full load out of this card some amount of the time and if you don't get to draw the card you still get four life and two creatures to try to bridge you to drawing into what you need i mean is this the two drop you want against werewolves what is i mean like a dragon's fire is probably just a lot more reliable right yeah that's red white can't have those nice things <laughs> sure, sure. We, no we we have a removal spell that we're going to get to but it actually plays with this because it helps the opponent fill their hand a little yeah i mean i take that card more seriously than this one. Oh, oh me too me too <laughs> I, I don't want to totally dunk on you here. I see why you added this to the list. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I think that there are people in this world who read timely reinforcements and are like, yes. And there are people in this world who read timely reinforcements and are like, Ugh. and I am a yes. I am a yes person. For this that. is no and timely this reinforcements. Is, yes, it is. It's, it's really <laughs> close. It's it, in some ways it's a little better. You don't draw a card off timely ever. That's true. Ever like you can't main deck timely because in matchups where it's control, the opponent's just trying to have more cards than you all the time, and your timely does nothing. But here you can just play it and draw a card. If there's one thing I've learned, if there's one mage that can make bad control cards look good, it is Kovaco Blue. So thank you. Maybe that makes them good. <laughs> and maybe I'm good and they're good. Maybe. <laughs> I expect to somehow see some random list that's like 70% win rate with you rocking this card. So I guess that's a, that's a vote in its favor. Well, this next card definitely doesn't suck. Consider one blue mana at instant. Look at the common, by the way. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Draw a card. Oh. So here's the real question, Kavaka Blue. Is this the best card in the set? Whoa. Whoa. Okay, man. Okay. Hold up. So it's in the it's in the staples category. Opt was always fine. Never great. This is a better opt because there's so much graveyard value to be gained. And since this card was previewed early, we've just had more and more time to look at what they've done to Historic with Jumpstart Historic Horizons, and we keep drooling for this card in Historic because of the cards that are there. In Standard, it's fine. I think it will be a part of many decks, but I don't think it necessarily has to be for the decks to function. And the little bit of upside of I look at my top card and maybe it's a card that's good in the graveyard. I don't think there are a ton of those. 
that are going to see a ton of play, but there's enough that it gives you a little like bonus, like, yeah, we did it. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a smart feeling card. I would, I mean, I guess it depends how you grade things for the top 10 in the set, because for Historic, maybe, but I'm scared of Historic. I don't go there. <laughs> nope. Kovac Goblu's never played a game of Historic in his life. Okay, I think that this is a, like, best card of the set in the way that Expressive Iteration was a best card in the set, right? Where, like, okay. if you look at kind of ongoing playability over the years, I think people are going to keep coming back to this card, whereas, like, some of the other cards in the set probably not yeah if you could have a nickel or a penny for every time the card was cast for the rest of time which card in the set would you pick it'll be and this it's probably this exactly yeah. so yeah i think this is this is one of those cards that's like gonna subtly warp the format i mean you're just gonna play it in just about every blue deck right i love that for an award by the way if we were giving out like awards like yeah. which card would you buy if you could get a penny for every time it's cast for the rest of time yeah. i think that's a great like kind of evaluation lens Think about how many times you're going to do this in the format, Kovaco Blue, where you're going to consider, you're going to see a flashback card on the top of your library, you're going to put it in the graveyard, and you're going to feel like a genius. Yeah, I, I'm sure some people feel that way. Like, read the next card, and we'll get to the flashback card of, that you might feel like a genius for having in your deck. Okay, so Memory Deluge. Two blue blue, instant at rare. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell, which is important. Put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then it has flashback, five blue blue. So tell us about this sweet card, Blue Mage. This reminds me of the first time I read Factor Fiction to show you what a boomer I am. But for four mana, instant speed, you look at, under normal conditions, your top four, you four. pick mm -hmm. the two that you like, you put the other two on the bottom in a random order. I mean, that's already better than like a scry two draw two. Mm -hmm. It's better than a full price behold the multiverse. It's better than a glimmer of genius without an energy use. Mm -hmm. So already we've got pedigree of playability in standard. And then when you add to it the flashback ability that when you can cast it from your graveyard at instant speed. At instant speed, which is such a big yes, deal, by the way. Such a big deal. Yeah. And then you look at seven cards in pick two. If you have ever yeah. cast Dig Through Time, ever, yeah. and I do it every Sunday playing Commander, yeah. Dig Through Time is awesome. It's like stacking your deck. It's rare that you don't get something that's useful. It's, yep. wow, it's a lot. Yeah, and Redain Mages and Spellbinder Mages, note that you will be kind of buffing this card a little bit, so... That's, that's a good thing to know as well. It's just kind of a funny little add-on <laughs> that you'll take. It is, you know? right? I, it, it is. is. It is. I, I love this card. I think it blows the other card draw options away for the most part. It has an interesting competitive spot with Behold the Multiverse where... Yes. Here's the thing about Behold the Multiverse in 2022 standard. There's nothing to do on turn two. Like in yep. blue, it's horrible. Your best play well, is to foretell something. Well, okay, think about the games where foretelling Behold on two and casting it on three to hit your next land drop is like the only thing that's not totally losing you the game, right? You have a weird look on your face, which makes it seem like maybe you haven't done this that often, but I've seen so many people like dig themselves out of an otherwise unwinnable state early in the game by just being able to like one, two off on that Behold, you know? Yeah, but they need to run more lands. <laughs> okay. 
just get better gamers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about like, where don't you like this card? Where does this card look bad? Because I think that this is a great card, right? So mm -hmm. what are the things that would keep you from playing this card in the format? I mean, just if I were occupied with doing other things on turn four and five, if I was trying to build board presence, if I was trying to play dragons or angels or something like that. But I think any deck that wants to get into a turn six or seven scenario and doesn't want to run out of gas should consider some copies of this card. I think yeah. I said on my stream that I would want, like I had a, what is it? The giant one glimpse the cosmos in my ramp deck for a while as a way to not yeah. run out of gas. You had Eureka moment. I'd play yeah. this in a heartbeat over both of those. Yeah. I mean, I think in any like traditional style control deck, this seems like a slam dunk to me. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. also like any deck that goes to big mana should have a couple. Yep. But, yep. Yeah. Totally agree. Card is sweet. All right. Next card, Faithful Mending. Blue and a white instant. You gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards. And it has flashback one blue white. You like this card? Not a lot, but... So let's say that we get away from I foretell as my turn two play. We need mm -hmm. something to do on turn two. And one thing that I always hated about playing any kind of blue-white deck in best of one is that they usually have some cards that are very good answers to a few things and very bad against certain decks. And you didn't have a good way to like just chuck those away and replace them. Like Prismari mm -hmm. Command kind of opens your eyes to, oh, it is really freaking good to just be able to chuck the cards that are bad in this matchup and get new ones. And this does that, and it gains two life. It doesn't put you up cards until you flash it back, but it is an instant, yeah. so you find that window to flash it back. And at the point where you flash it back, you gain four life. That's like a pretty stabilizing play. So I think that this has potential without a ton of other graveyard interactives. And once we have or find the right graveyard cards that we want to be in the graveyard, this becomes a very good card. I find it interesting that you hated on the counterspell version of this card, but you're okay with the flashback version. Is it just that the filtering out your lands or whatever the dead cards are later in the game is worth it to you? Yeah, it's that I don't want nothing but that effect which is what the villain's lair was. It's an option to counterspell, but it wasn't both. I mean, if it was and, if it was counter target spell and do this, I'd be all over it. But it was like, this card does only this thing. And this card, mending does do only this thing, but then it does it again. And at that point, it's card neutral and you gain four life. A lot different, in my opinion. I mean, I think you're right. The flashback does redeem it yeah. to some degree. And I will say the first time I saw this card, I was off it. Yeah, and it's one of those where I've like over the last like two or three days, I've walked around with it a bit and I'm like, OK, yeah. I can see where this fits because you get to stitch your draw like blue white control has so many awkward draws. Blue white decks in general have awkward draws. And this just kind of ties them together in a way that's it's not as card advantagey as Behold the Multiverse, but it's not as mm -hmm. slow because mm -hmm. you gain that life and you do it a little faster. Yeah, I, I'm going to slap on a caveat to this one. It definitely seems like more of a best of one card to me. I feel like in best sure. of three, you probably just have better things to be doing. Yeah, I buy it. In historic, we bring back God Pharaoh's gift with this, huh? Uh, okay, yeah. I, I, I like I like the way you're thinking before you die. Okay, <laughs> next card. 
Dire Strain Rampage. One red green sorcery at rare. Okay, crafty, strap yourselves in. This is a weird card. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or land. If a land was destroyed this way, its controller may search their library for up to two basic land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle. Otherwise, its controller may search their library for a basic land. Put it onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle, and it has flashback three red green. So let me break it down for you simple like crafties. If you kill a land with this, then the controller of that land can get two tapped lands, put them onto the battlefield. Otherwise, if you kill anything else with this, the controller of that thing gets one tapped land on the battlefield. So, Covert Go Blue, pretty spicy little card here. Discuss with us some of the potential play patterns for this card. So I think that the... This is another card I hated the second I read it just because it sounded so complicated and weird to me for no reason. And then having sat with it, I'm like, okay, there's a few things going on here. I think that its primary use is to ramp yourself. I think Mm -hmm. that you are targeting your own land and then searching for two lands and then hitting your next land drop and doing it again. So you go from three to five to seven with one card. One card does all the ramping you might need. Now you're at seven, do the broken thing. Now you're at seven, but you're probably dead, right? (laughs) Well, in some metas, like there are matchups where if that's your number one game plan, then obviously don't keep a hand with like six lands in this. Like, I I think that there'll be matchups and they'll happen in standard. Like, think about the Simic Ramp Mirror. Wouldn't the person with this be in a good position? Because they only need one spell to get their ramp and then their ramp. Whereas if the other person has one turtle, they're going to get there slower. And uh, on the other Mm -hmm. hand, there is a, a fail state. If you don't need ramp from this anymore, you can blow up their creature land. You can blow up their artifact that you didn't plan for, their enchantment that you didn't plan for. Uh, That is an option. It's nice to have that ability. I mean, we learned that Assassin's Trophy was a much worse card than we thought it was. And this is more expensive than Assassin's Trophy and kills less things. So I am uh, hesitant. I'm hesitant to give the go ahead on this. I mean, if this were killing like Great Henge, you'd be happy to pay the cost, right? But we don't have cards like that in the format anymore. So this is a tough one for me. I mean, I see how it can be sweet. For me, where this card gets interesting is if you're doing stuff with the lands in the graveyard. If you kill your own land and then you're able to get value off of that land later in the game somehow, like doesn't Ren and Seven give you some kind of nonsense like that? We're, we're going to find out. I think it's lands in play on Ren and Seven, but... Is it? But there's something about like returning stuff to your hand. Anyway, for me, that's where this card starts to get better. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, agree, it's repeatable ramp. But like it's getting you one extra land at three, which is fine. We're happy to pay for that. It's also getting you one extra land at five. And that's, that hurts, right? Because here's what you didn't mention is when you play the turtle, now you have a three, four blocker, right? Which makes up somewhat for the fact that it didn't get you an additional land. If you're going to evaluate this in a versus aggro state, I'm going to agree with you that it sucks. I'm... Yeah. I'm talking about other uses for the card. So I think what this discussion is highlighting is that this is a very particular card. Yeah, I don't see this as being just like a like a cultivate, right? This is not a cultivate. This is like a spicier card. I think that your deck 
needs to have a fairly specific plan. One thing I'm thinking is, does this play well with the, uh, what is that called? The Gruel Waking the Trolls saga? Um, depending how you use it, because if you have more lands than your opponent, then you get to make more trolls, but if you're targeting their lands, they're replacing them, so I don't think so. Yeah. I'm thinking the way that you're hoping. Doesn't it get you, like, a land from the graveyard or something like that? The opponent's graveyard. From the opponent's graveyard. Yeah, I guess you're right. So, okay, yeah, maybe that's not a good combo. Yeah, I don't know. This this card's gonna have to it's gonna have to find a good shell, I think. Well, you can just put it in your deck so you don't lose to Bookhaven, because that's going to be legal. That's true. That's true. Maybe they thought of that. Okay, I see you put Field of Ruin on here, so that's a card that we're getting back in standard. Yep. Yeah. That's reprint. Very, very solid card. Also Facebook related. Yep. Yep, exactly. So I think most of the crafties know what this does, but yes, just land destruction land. Very nice. All right, man, I'm going to pass it back over to you. Take us through the kill spells in the format. For everybody who loves saying it dies to Doomblade, this is the section for you. Arjuna, that's kind of you on this cast. We're going to talk about the removal spells, of which there are actually many. Many. Good removal spells in this format. Kind of absurd, to be honest. So the first one I have here is Bloodline Culling. Bloodline Culling is a one and a black black instant at rare. Choose one. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Or creature tokens get minus two, minus two until end of turn. What do you think? Are you going to go for some Bloodline Culling? I am a massive fan of this card. I think that this card's going to be a staple in the format. Well, it could be. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on how good the tokens are, right? But the flaw of a minus five, minus five for three is totally fine. I think that we have found with cards like Soul, what was it? Soul Seer, stuff like that. You don't love them, but they're very solid, very good. Notable things you can do with this card, for example, are kill an indestructible Arlen, which feels really nice uh, on the night side. Uh huh. I mean, that's got to feel good, right? Yeah. And then, you know, handles any of your opponent's larger werewolves that they spent mana on. If there's enough like a Seeker's Chariots in the format, then this is going to, I think, be fairly good. I I just think that this is a really versatile and very good card. What do you think? I think it's okay. I think that like Soul Shatter, people were over the moon about it. And then when they started playing way too much of it in Standard 2022, they realized that as a four of, there's a lot of times it's not good and it'll get you. And I think that this card will have that too i think that there's enough power and toughness versatility and enough like tokens and not tokens going on at the same time that this doesn't do everything it's not a full swiss army knife but it's good and i think it'll be like a one or a two of just like kind of soul shatter is it it fits a niche yep i think it's a really solid card i agree with you it's probably like a two of you know in some matters you know you bring in more from the sideboard and some matters you take them out but yeah, I just, I don't know. I think this card, especially like, I think in the sideboard of Black Decks and Historic, you're almost certainly going to run some number of these. Very cool card. All right. The next one I have is Fateful Absence. And this is one in a white for an instant at rare. A two mana, like, Doom Blade. And it says, in the color white, by the way, destroy target creature or planeswalker, period. It's Controller Investigates. Dude, I I kept looking for tapped creature. 
uh, attacking <laughs> creature, uh, power three or less creature. And it just says no. It says that or planeswalker. And then I'm like, sorcery. Yeah. No, no, it's instant. The only downside is that investigates. What do you think? First of all, just the irony, right? The only card draw white gets is for the opponent. I'm not necessarily. <laughs> you can hit your own things. Okay, you can. You can. Gotta love that edge case right there. I mean, edge case, when the opponent tries to exile my Cario with necrotic fumes and I faithful absence <laughs> it, sacrifice my clue, and then blood in the snow and get it back, we're going to call that <laughs> okay. edge case. Okay, all right. okay. All right. all right. Yeah, it just it happens every day. Happens all the time. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, this card's totally sweet. Gonna be fairly bad against like go whitey humansy kind of decks, but pretty good against everything else. I think this card solves a lot of problems that white sometimes struggles with. And in some matchups, the clue is just not gonna matter that much. So here's the thing. This is an obvious comparison to Declaration in Stone. Now, let's say you put this totally out of meta. You just throw this into some random set in the future. Is this better or worse than Deck in Stone? I think it's better too. I think it's a lot better. Yeah, it yep. has targets against control decks. And it's an instant. Like, that's a big deal. Which is just huge. A creature or planeswalker. Instant's a big deal. You can hit your own things, which is cool. Now, it, it doesn't exile, so that's kind of a bummer. But yeah, I, I think on balance, this is better than deck in stone. And it's hard for me to imagine this not seeing regular play in standard. Yeah, we talk about edge case and it's like, I mean, if my opponent's going to point a lightning helix at my creature, I would much rather Fateful Absence it than not. That's you know? interesting. If you're beat down. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I, I love my control decks, but I think this card is insane for Mono White Aggro, which is already one of the best decks. Yeah. I think Mono White now has very few fears. I think it might open up some of the three mana slot. You don't have to run four Skyclave Apparitions and two portable holes and hope that those are good because they're pretty narrow. Yeah, yeah, man. I, th I think Mono White's going to jam this and I think Mono White's going to be like the best deck coming out. And I don't think it's going to be close because, it. yeah, it's a scary card. So the reason this card is so good in aggressive decks, Crafties, is that the, the whole idea is that you want to not give your opponent the time for cracking the clue to matter. You want to be killing the opponent. You want to force them into a spot where they just have to play their most relevant cards every turn you play a couple of these they stack up some clues by the time they're cracking the clues they're already dead it gets a lot worse in long matchups like some really grindy mid-range matchups or like even in control but again the thing is it's not that bad in control right because if it's killing your opponent's planeswalker it's probably still pretty good it kills a creature land in a pinch that's yes. gonna feel really it kills good faceless Haven. yes so yeah. i mean yeah i i just i think it's a staple yep 100 percent. top 10 in the set for me. Yeah, I would go with that. No question. What was the other thing I wanted to say about it really quick? I, I had a few people tell me it's like a baleful mastery. What's the big deal? And like putting the emphasis on your opponent to pay the two mana to get their card is night and day difference. Night and day. They were like, well, with Baleful Mastery, you pay two mana and they don't get the card. That's better. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure this is a mile better yeah. than that. Because when you're taxing your opponent's mana, think about it. You're already playing Elite Spellbinder, probably. Yeah. They have to pay two more mana for that card. and the, Or they could pay two mana for this. Yeah. Like the taxes add up. It's so good. Yeah, indeed. It's so good. Sweet. All right. I'm going to move on to another card. It's hard to move on. After that, very exciting card to see uh, in white. But we've got Grafted Identity. And this is two and a blue for an enchantment aura in rare. As an additional cost, sacrifice a creature. It is an enchantment, an aura, enchant creature. You control enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one. 
Are you into this card? I'm down for sacrificing Eye Twitch and Shambling Ghast, which are two cards that I've put in a lot of decks. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think what they were thinking about with this card is that they have a lot of blue cards that make the zombie with the decayed, right? Yeah. So the idea is that you cast some other instant or sorcery that makes you a free zombo, and then you sack it to grafted identity. <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to play those cards, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with this one. So if you don't have a creature to sack, this is dead. Correct. Bomber, dude. Just like Deadly Dispute. Yeah, but that, no, because you can do that with a treasure too, right? So that's... I mean, I I guess I don't do that very often. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, uh, I'm struggling with this card. So so tell me why you put it on the list. Because I think yoinking the opponent's thing and sacrificing something that was kind of meant to be sacrificed is really cool. It depends how easily can the opponent remove this. Because if they remove the identity, it's a blowout. You're signing up to get blown out if enchantment removal is viable or if bouncing their own thing is viable. But if those things aren't, and the opponents are really in on playing some super-powered mid-range card, some really thick creature, then this is really good. I'm not positive that's going to happen. I think that's a pretty narrow meta, and this is more likely a sideboard card, and might not see play. But I think it's an interesting card to keep in mind. Yeah. How does this compare to the... uh... It's that card, it's one, one blue, 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 steal a creature with CMC three or less. Oh, tempted by the orc. Yeah, the three or less thing is a real drawback and so is triple blue. Yeah, Like that card's really hard to cast. Mm -hmm. Like this can gold span dragon. Yeah, that card saw like fringe sideboard play, which is probably where I would put this one as well. Okay. Yeah, I think it's an upgrade from that. Yeah, interesting card. Well, let's talk about a card that's not interesting at all. This is Infernal Grasp. This is one in a black for an instant at uncommon destroy target creature you lose to life. Doomblade that dooms Boom. you too. <laughs> oh, you know what this is? This is Dome Blade. <laughs> Dome Blade. Okay. <laughs> yeah, boy. Boy, this card. So hard to tell, right? So hard to tell where it's going to fit into the meta. I feel like you probably play at least one or two. Like the white removal spell, uh, Fateful Absence, this one is also much better in an aggressive deck, because who cares about your life total when you're beating your opponent to death as quickly as possible? Is there a black aggressive deck? Maybe Rakdos? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of what comes to mind. Yeah, I think this card will see a lot of play. I think it's like a running downhill card that's so good it's worth it. I think it's a lot better than Murderous Rider because two mana versus three and one black versus double black is a big difference. Yeah, I think it's in the spot removal needs to be. I think two mana removal is ideal. I think three mana removal has to offer you a lot to get played. But I think two mana is super ideal. And this is going to be one of the best ones. The thing I like about cards like this is that they make the game dynamic dynamic right so they're powerful enough that you want to play them and they're risky enough that kind of adds up over time you're gonna have games that you lose because of this card and i think that's really interesting some of the sweetest games of magic are where you're like let's say you're like black aggro versus red aggro and you're racing and you draw cards like this and you just have to like think really hard about like okay can i afford to cast infernal grasp is it going to be better or worse for me over the course of this game i think all that kind of stuff makes magic really fun i didn't know those decks ever even played against each other (laughs) yeah i I guess you're right (laughs) i guess you're right man matchmaker (laughs) what have you done to us So we're going to move on to the next card, which is the Meat Hook Massacre. Now, this is a a mythic legendary enchantment. It is Black Black X. When it enters the battlefield, each creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. 
Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you gain one life. This is a cool card. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is a kind of card where like you have to have a plan for this. You can't just run it. So what are you thinking about this card? I right away am like, there's probably some kind of a Rakdos sacrifice, kill your own thing. There's Awaken the Blood Avatar. Um, I, I played Mardu Sacrifice today in 2022. That deck is still insane. And uh, something like this, you can just play it if you like your board. You can play it for zero and just have a blood artist type enchantment on the board. Yeah, that's true. Which is pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. But if you don't like the way the board is going, you can play this and nuke a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Orcus, the Prince of Undeath in that way. But it's a little bit cheaper for that effect. Still expensive for a sweeper, but a little bit cheaper for that effect. It doesn't cost you life. In fact, it can like restore life, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sweet. Fumigate was an awesome board wipe because you gain life for each creature that you destroyed. And this does that. What is very CGB is I want to play this card in a blue-black deck, blue-black control deck with divide by zero. Oh, I, I like what you're doing there. And just get it back and play it again. I like what you're and doing And Cyclone there. Summoner, maybe? Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's a cool combo. This card's really powerful. Exactly. The fact that you can buy it back with bounces or graveyard shenanigans or whatever is uh, it's pretty strong. I also love that just the... Um, the scalability of it, you get to decide what it comes down for, right? So there are certain yes. matchups in which you just keep your creatures and wipe your opponent's white weenie board, and you feel pretty amazing about that, and you gain a bunch of life to boot, which is cool. But say, like, you have a Cyclone Summoner, and they have a Coma and some Coils, and, like, you play this, and you kill their Coma and their Coils and keep your Summoner. Yeah, right? that's mm. that's going to feel pretty mm. sweet, yeah. That's nice. And uh, I don't know, it's a super versatile card. Yeah, I, th- I think this card is really sweet. And I really look forward to seeing what you do with it. I also love with this card that you can just also kill your opponent with it. Yeah. You know, there's going to be board states where you drop this and you just kill like four of your creatures and you just drain them out. In Historic, you can play this instead of like Blood Artist or in addition to Blood Artist in the Vesperlark combo, which is really dirty. That's pretty nasty. Yep. I mean, yeah, Yeah. because this combo is with Vesperlark, right? Like, just yep. right off the bat. Yeah. I don't know, Crafties. I think this card's going to show up in a lot of different places. It's going to be really cool. Agreed. Nice. Let's talk about another card that might show up. This one is got a cool title. Burn Down the House. Burning Down the House. Okay, go ahead. Go you ahead. sure? You done? You got it out of your system? <laughs> I guess it's okay. a musical podcast for me, man. I guess so. Three red red. Choose one. Burn down the house, deals five damage to <laughs> each creature <laughs> and <laughs> each planeswalker. <laughs> All right. Make anyway, three, I, I, one, one, red, devil, creature, tokens. Sorry. Burning down Burn the house. Burning down the house. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, so if you didn't keep up with that, I'll try it again. Sorcery. Five mana, two of it being red, rare. You choose one of these two options. Burn down the house deals five damage to each creature and each planeswalker. Or the other option, create three 1-1 red devil creature tokens with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. They gain haste until end of turn. So you can wrath or you can have three hasty 1-1s. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think this card looks very solid to me. Its ability to deal the damage to Planeswalkers is very relevant with cards like Arlen in the format. Cards like this have proven themselves to be playable in the past. This harkens back to cards like Hour of Devastation. And it's really cool that you can use this to also put some threats down. Um, those 1-1 red devil creatures are surprisingly better than they seem whenever you have them. They're just pretty good creatures, it turns out. And the haste is pretty nice too. So I kind of like this as a board control and it could even be a finisher uh, if your opponent's with a low life total, it kind of puts them in an impossible situation where they have to block them, but then they end up dying anyway. It's a card that could not see play if the cost doesn't line up with the format. Like, if you just need to be able to Wrath on 4 instead of 5, or for various other reasons, it might not get there. But I think there's enough text on the card that it could definitely see play. You have an Is It Control deck. Choose one, Battle of Frost and Fire, or Burn Down the House. That's a really good question. Yeah. Well, it depends on what the rest of my plan is, right? But I I could definitely see scenarios in which this is the bats of cod. It'll be interesting. We'll have yeah. to size up the meta. So it's not a strictly worse, I would agree with you there. And yeah. uh, I, I, I like the idea of a wrath that I can put in my Plum the Forbidden deck, mm, you know, without yep. being embarrassed yep. about it. But yeah. so is the, the same can be said about the card we just talked about, Meat Hook Massacre, goes in that deck too. So it's kind of interesting that we can make go-wide decks that also can punish the opponent for going wide first. It's kind yeah. of neat. No, I, I agree. These two play very well together. I think both of these cards are going to just enable decks with funky plans. And I think that's really sweet. So I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful for this card. I'm cursing myself that I didn't put these two cards in the opposite order because I'm about to read Play With Fire. This is because what happens when you play with fire, kids? You burn down your house. Anyway, one red for an instant. Play with fire deals two damage to any target. If a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. This was one of those early spoils. Mm -hmm. It's back because I wanted to mention a card that we'll get to soon that really wants an instant or sorcery on top that, <laughs> you know, this this might be a card that you play with like a, a Delver type card or yeah. like, like, has this card gotten better, do you think? as spoiler season has gone on, where hitting the opponent's face looks better for a number of reasons? <sighs> Hard to say. I mean, like those last two cards that we read do involve stuff that does face damage. And so, yeah, you know, I think in that scenario, Play With Fire could be good. It, it's cards like Lightning Strike that really make cards like Play With Fire better. And I don't know if we have like a Lightning Strike in the format. But we do have Thermo Alchemist, which I think plays very nicely with this card. And this also does enable some of that like spectacle style stuff as well. So if that stuff ends up being better than we think, then this card could be good. It's also just a strictly better shock and shock. Yeah has pretty much always been playable in standard. Yeah. So hard to imagine this card not getting there. Agreed. Next card is Rite of Oblivion. This is one that you threw back on the list and yep. is, is a white and a black sorcery at uncommon as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a non-land permanent, exile target, non-land permanent, and as flashback, two and a white black. So the first time you do this, it's worse than a vanishing verse, right? Yes. The second time you do this is pretty sweet. So that's kind of what we have to evaluate about this card is, is the ability to do it again worth the costs? Kind of. Don't they see it coming? You know, can't they? <laughs> shouldn't they manage their board state in a way so that this is hard for you? Yeah, but 
you but then they have to play around it and you have the threat of it for the rest of the game right they can't just not play out their threats so okay if they have like some hasty stuff or if they you know maybe it doesn't play that well against cards like goldspan dragon i don't know man i mean there's just like just two exiles off of one card like and the downside if you build your deck right is not that big of a downside it does hit a non-land permanent so if there are things that are not creatures that we really need to get rid of, and you have things in your deck that you like to sacrifice, then Rite of Oblivion is a, a charming card and could see some play. I think it's more likely that this is going to be a creature-based format and that we're going to run good creature removal that doesn't require us to give anything up and that this card won't see much play. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think that in the right deck, and I think in certain metas, especially if the meta gets grindy, look out for Rites of Oblivion could be good. It also could be a really good sideboard card against certain plans. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can, I can agree with all of that, and I, I think that the point still stands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next card, I think I'm going to say the same thing about this is Eaten Alive, one black sorcery, common as an additional cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice a creature or pay three and a black to exile target creature or planeswalker. So I put this on the list just because we played the one from War of the Spark, which was this, except it destroyed instead of exiled. So this is strictly better than that card. Is that called Spark Harvest? Spark Harvest, yep. So this is uh, this is an upgrade over that card. These cards only really see play in like sacrifice decks, but the efficiency is there. And playing this card aside, you know, cards like Shambling Ghast is nice. And so, you know, I mean, we're losing Loris, which makes cards like this a lot worse. But, eh, it's a consideration. I mean, you can't beat the price. One mana, get rid of their cool thing. If you have something you're willing to sacrifice, it's a, it's a good deal. Yep. yep. And uh, if, if Decayed ends up being a thing, then this is going to be an excellent card to go alongside it. Yep. I, so, I'm yeah. still just looking at the other cards. Like, for two mana, I could probably, though, kill anything at instant speed and keep my cards. Good point. I yeah, mean, so. you tend to make good points, and that's certainly one of them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, uh, that completes our The Killers section. There's a lot of good removal. Yep. Like, we have options. I mean, the fact... Here's the thing. In most sets, I would just read Eaten Alive and be like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I wouldn't even have a downside to say. And the only reason I do is because like there's so many options. Yeah. It's so They're so good. There's a lot of killing going on. So th- there's a lot of creatures trying to kill you, and there's a lot of spells trying to kill those creatures. So hopefully it all balances out into a satisfying feeling format. Okay, uh, we're going to move along here into creature features. Uh, this Lucky. is... Yep, uh, we're going to read to some interesting, powerful creatures. Okay, so our first creature feature here is Spectral Adversary. This is the blue one in the cycle. One and a blue Mythic 2-1 Flash Flyer. When Spectral Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a blue any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Spectral Adversary. Then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures, and or enchantments phase out woo what a mouthful you can save your things from dying or from bad combat situations you can exile the opponents well phase the opponent stuff so you can get in for lethal uh playing this on their end step or you can just two one flying flash beat down how does this compare to like rattle chains 
I think that rattle chains had more specific uses, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to defending spell queller. Mm-hmm. But I think that this has more broad uses, which mm-hmm. there isn't much spirit synergy to really get excited about. So I think that this is better for this format. So I think one of my favorite things about this card is it's one of the ones that makes the best use of the plus one plus one counter, right? So mm-hmm. a three, like a three two flash flyer that protects a creature is a lot better than a two one flash flyer that protects a creature because that's a real threat. Like a three power flyer is is a good threat, but uh, I'm still kind of struggling with this one. It just seems a little underwhelming to me. I feel like things kind of have to go right. Like your opponent has to like point removal at stuff, or uh, and and the phasing means it's not like a blink, right? So you don't get the ETB. So. I don't know. I feel like unless you can come up with a specific deck for this card or like a specific interaction that's really juicy, I'm kind of struggling with it. Yeah, you need a blue creature deck, but I think that will happen. It could. It could. All right. Next up, Moonvale Regent. Le Regent. <laughs> oh, gosh. I even hesitate to read this one because I think it's really bad. Whoa. Yeah. Controversial. I think, I think this card's terrible. Okay. Really? Moonvale Regent, three and a red, creature dragon, mythic, four four flyer. Mm, what have we said about four four flyers for four? Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. That's spicy. When Moonvale Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. Really? Do you really think this card could get there? I cast Moonvale Regent. Then I cast Shock, and I draw a card. And then I cast something else that's like a Shock, and I draw a card. And then I cast something else that's like a Shock, and I draw a card. So you have to be empty-handed, basically, for this to be good. No, it's a May. You can have cards in your hand that you don't want in your hand and replace them with something else if you want to. Or you can have a 4-4 flyer that when they kill it, deals one or if you're a two-color deck, uh, two damage to any target. This is the long, slow grimace of skepticism, CGB. I don't know, man. I think that, like, I, I, I think this card is really good. I Really? It's kind of, int- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just think that if you play it, like, you do have a dies trigger, which is something a lot of these, like, four fours for four lack. So if your argument is dies to removal, you still get something out of it. If you play it in a deck with, like, two or three colors, that could be really good, like, whether it's in Jeskai, Grixis, or things like that. But if you just play it in red, you're just drawing a card for the last spell out of your hand every time, if, it, if they don't kill it. I mean, sure, drawing a card for the last spell out of your hand, yeah, but that's, like, very conditional, isn't it? I mean, you play your cards. I don't think that's too conditional for a red aggro. I mean, if this is, like, a top end, yeah, I think that's true. But, yeah, I, mm, I don't know, man. This, this is feeling like has fancy text on it. We'll see no play in the format to me. We'll see. Don't craft four of these crafties, <laughs> whatever you do. Okay. Get them. Get them cheap. Get them now, <laughs> quick. <laughs> Liesa, Forgotten Archangel, two white, white, black, legendary creature, angel at rare, four, five, flying lifelink. Oh, you know what I'm going to say about this, don't you? Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. Go. Yeah, it's, it's not good against white and it's not good against black, but it's great against red and it's great probably against a number of green decks that are trying to get through the five toughness is definitely relevant for surviving most dragons fires and block sparring with goldspan dragon and it's another good angel so i think this might see some play the text is kind of brood moth-ish but i think that this is a little bit better just because of the rest of the stats it can stabilize a battlefield on its own i think it's sideboard against aggro 
Yeah, the thing about the brood moth is it kept the stuff on the field, right? Yep. That cod also saw no play. That's why I don't think that text is the important part. I think the lifelink in the five toughness is. Yeah. Also, the text that when an opponent creature's control dies, it gets exiled instead is more relevant than people ever yeah, That is relevant, for sure. Yep. The, yeah, yeah with Kalidus, that was always way more impactful than people thought it would be. Yeah. So, I mean, revealed fateful absence, you know? I, I was much more about this before because white had like no way to kill a five drop. That was good. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm, I'm less high on it now, but it meh. still deserves some consideration. Meh. Yeah. Meh. Probably won't see play. Let's go to, I'm going to skip Slogark the Overslime just because there's so much text on that card. Let's talk about Delva of Secrets. So this card has been an all-star in the past of Magic. It's seen play in what? Legacy, I think it was big in. Everything. Okay. The answer is everything. Every format. Okay. Yes. Delver of Secrets, one blue mana, creature human wizard at uncommon. It is a 1-1. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card. If an instant or sorcery is revealed this way, transform Delver of Secrets, and it transforms into a 3-2 flyer. So, Kovac go blue. Do you think Delver of Secrets is going to be the card in standard or historic that it has been in the other formats in the past. I don't think there's much question in historic. The dragon going to try it, right? Shamler deck. Oh yeah, yeah. like yeah. it's it's going to get a lot of play in historic. I think this card with Dragon's Rage Channeler and that new one blue cantrip, they all go very nicely together. Dude, when they unsuspend brainstorm. When they unsuspend brainstorm, it's totally oh, going to happen. Baby. I, remember, it was suspended. You know, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't. It wasn't banned. It's true because they're true. totally going to bring it back. Yeah, totally fine. So a lot of very well respected pro players have said this card's not going to hit in historic, but I think this card could hit in historic. They said the same thing about brainstorm. I guess that's yes. true. They did, didn't they? They did. Yes. So just to be clear. <laughs> I am definitely in the Delva's going to see play in Historic and it's going to be good camp, but eh, we'll see. Standard, very questionable. How many cheap instants can you load up your deck with and have it be an okay deck in Standard? And that's yeah. always the question, but I'm going to try. Like, I, I think everybody's wrong if they don't try at least a little because yeah. this card is potentially a one-mana 3-2 flyer. Uh, all you have to do, and what you've done in all these formats, all you have to do is flip it, start attacking, and cast counter spells for a few turns, and the opponent is dead. I mean, this could fit into a shell that's somewhat similar to the Is It Dragon's shell, right? Yes. Yeah. I think it could easily it could easily go into a deck like that. And it's on plan too. You're killing your opponent with aggressive flyers. So yeah, I think this card has some play to it, for sure. Agreed. Keep an eye out, crafties. Okay, you know what? Are there any other cards on this list right here that you really want to get to? <laughs> yeah, but let's see. I think we'll get roasted if we don't talk about the Hostel. It seems to be one of the most hyped cards in the set. And I okay. like Smoldering Egg. I don't have to love it, though. I know not everybody does. Let's let's skip that one. Let's talk about Hostile Hostel. So this one is a mythic land. You can tap it to add colorless. You can also pay one tap, sacrifice a creature, put a soul counter on Hostile Hostel. Then if there are three or more soul counters on it, remove those counters, transform it, then untap it. Activate only as a sorcery. And then the backside is a 3-7 artifact creature horror construct. 
Whenever creeping in attacks, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of creature cards exiled with creeping in. And you can pay four and creeping in phases out. What a weird card, dude. It is. Very weird card. I I do want to go on a quick... I like that phasing has somehow come back and become like evergreen because it avoids certain things. For example, it protects this card without using things like indestructible that would allow it to still hit. And it doesn't reset the loses X life, gain X life thing because it phases. So it's kind of a neat use of phasing. Yep. Yep. That's true. So here's the real question. Are we really in the mood to feed three separate creatures to this over three or more turns and then have it flip into this super weird creature? Like, is that really what we're doing? At sorcery speed. Yeah. Like, is that really what we're doing with our no! lives? No! Come on! <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to flip this. It's, it's all about the flavor. You're asking the wrong question. The uh, real question is, what color is the creeping in on the backside? What color is that? It's uh, it's an artifact. It's, it's an colorless. Art- that's right. It says artifact. Yeah. The front of it is not. The front of it is a land. It's an artifact. Now, here's the other thing. See that how the circle is really dark? It doesn't say it's a black creature, but apparently that means it is. Really? Yeah, that's what I'm told. I'm skeptical about that. I am too, but my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, you know what the real question is, Kovaco Blue? Why isn't this a reprint of Westvale Abbey? That's the real question. Because because Ormondal's on a different card that you didn't. Oh, that's read. right. Yep. Ormondal. Ormondal is showing up again. That devious old boy. But I mean, okay, this card gets people hyped because it's creepy, flavorful, and just kind of neat. And I think it's going to get played way more than it should. It probably doesn't belong in any decks because it's not very good. And it doesn't matter. People are going to like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually terrible. <laughs> um, let's let's go on to these uh, potentially broken cards here, CGB, because I know that you are excited about the potential of some of these. So why don't you take us through them? First card. Storm the Festival. Storm the Festival. It's, God, it just is. I don't know, man. (laughs) It is three green, green, green sorcery at rare. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put up to two permanent cards with mana value five or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then there's a flashback of seven green, green, green. Right. For the small price of 10 mana, you get it back. Big old collected company here. Big old collected company. Okay. So I had a a miniature argument uh, on Twitter about this because I, what I was positing is that this is actually a little old Genesis ultimatum. That's that's what I think this card is. Okay, fine. Fine with me. Fine with me. I'll take that. I like it anyway, because I absolutely hate going back and forth with people when I'm like, bigger collected coming. They're like, this is not instant speed. Instant speed's better. Instant speed is very important. That's true. It's all true. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, assuming that they don't play blue and aren't holding up counter magic, isn't six mana to get 10 mana worth of awesomeness, like really good. And this is very unlikely to whiff. It's permanence. It's not creatures. So if it hits lands, it hits lands. You're closer to flashing it back. Sucks to be you, but it could happen. But what if you hit Ren and Six and a Seeker's Chariot? You're not into it? Make a Tree Folk? Activate Chariot? Make another Tree Folk? And Okay, like, sure, sure. That's cute. But like... You paid six mana and like that's your top yeah. end. Like that's like nine that's like nine mana worth of value without the chariot being I, okay. But what else did you do to get expediently to six mana, right? 
Play like, those cards. Just play Chariot. Play Ren and Six. It's plus gets you more land. Okay, so here's the problem with this card, right? Is that the more likely you are to get value out of it, the less likely you are to play cheap permanents in your deck, right? Yeah, you have to you have to pace it, but yeah. So, so I, uh, I mean, I'm just struggling so much with this card, right? Because like, if you hit like a five drop and a land off of this, you got, I mean, that sucks. That sucks. Does it? Right? I think it sucks. You paid one more mana and you got that one mana back. Like, I, it's not that I bad. want my six, I want my six drop to be taking over the game. You're you know? greedy though. No, it's not greedy. No, it's just reasonable. <laughs> you just you need to get ahead in the game, not take over. Just no, it's ahead. just being reasonable. Do you no, really think? Th- do you really think on balance that this card is going to be like the best thing you can do at six in those decks? I think one or two of them is. I, yes. I'm highly skeptical. Highly What's skeptical. a better six drop? The I will answer. It is the one that is like a grave titan, like the yeah the wolf that card. That's great. really good. Yeah, this can spar with that. This can get you two cards that can compete with that. If you could hit any permanent off this, I'd be a lot more interested. This right? can hit two goldspan dragons. Oh, sure. I mean, Christmas can happen in July Have you cast two All Runs but... Epiphanies? I have. It's not that weird. <laughs> this doesn't do that, though, right? It it doesn't do that, but you're like saying like like it's Christmas land to say hit two goldspan dragons. No, it's not. It's totally doable. Like, it, five is hard, but it's going to happen sometimes. Not only that, you can play the Goldspan Dragon, make a treasure, play this after it, hit one Goldspan Dragon and anything else to keep the pressure on or finish the game. Like, it's a mana sink that it plays with your already good mid-range cards. I'm just saying one or two of them, you're going to be ahead of the deck that doesn't have it. I'm, I'm off this card. Like, I'm, I'm highly skeptical. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, but I'm telling you, when it like maybe it'll be sideboard, but when it comes to being the bigger mid range deck, the deck that isn't playing this is going to be losing to the deck that does. Here's here's my problem with this card, right? How good even was Genesis Ultimatum? Pretty good. It was pretty good. It wasn't like the only deck it was busted in was a deck playing absolutely busted cards like Omnath, right? If you remove Omnath from the format, it was not even the best ultimatum by a long shot, right? Now, it costs three colors, but any deck that was interested in playing it reliably hit it on curve. So let's let's get the colors out of the equation here. So for one mana more, we got three more cards. We got to play any permanents out whatsoever, and all the cards that weren't permanents went straight into our hand, right? And that card was only good enough sometimes so i'm just like looking at storm the festival and i'm like great it's it comes down one turn cheaper but we only get two they have to be permanents they have to cost five mana or less and they just go straight onto the battlefield i just like when i compare those two it seems like the amount of downgrade it is is shocking to me you're severely treading on the grave of genesis ultimatum it was defining like there were multiple decks built around it for a period of time until emergent ultimatum had the hits that it needed to be the broken deck that it was but it was the best ultimatum for at least six months and there were multiple decks built around it yeah but it just like it didn't see that much play right it had like a very narrow window of play like if you take away omnath the window of serious play for that card was like very small no I disagree strongly. This is going to be interesting, right? Like this, I th- I, I like it when we do this because we get to look back on the format later and like see who had the better read. We do. Yeah. So this is cool. The best combo I've heard for this card is a deck playing Binding the Old Gods. 
this binding helps you get to this and then this cast binding off of itself. I think that was pretty sweet. Yeah, I would try that. I would yeah. play that deck. Yeah, I would play that deck. <laughs> it, it's like, it, that sounds sweet, right? I think this card is too often going to hit like a four drop in a land and you're yeah, going to feel like I, an idiot. To be honest, I think that the binding idea is the tame version. And it's funny that that's what you're excited about, even though that's the one I'm more likely to play. I'm just like, play green X mid-range and then just slam this card. <laughs> you get to the mid game and you're the one casting like getting like 10 like 9 or 10 mana worth of value and some powerful cards off this and you're building up to do it again i think that you average like 6 mana value off of this card which is exactly what if you're, you're a low curve it. deck but i mean don't you want to play a seeker's chariots don't you mm -hmm. want good four drops so basically the deck you're building is just like all fours and fives, right? No, no, of course not. But you don't have to have like 50 of them to hit them. I mean, I, I spent this week playing Kinnon. Kinnon is seven mana, look at your top five, grab a non-human, a non put it into play. I think I had eight of those in my 100 card deck, but it's not like you never hit. How many creatures do you have to have in a Coco deck to reliably hit two of them? Yeah, you can run the math on that and it's like 25 20 is what you're something. supposed to do. 20 yeah. something right? So for in order for you creatures, to... This hits permanence. Yeah, but in order for you to get your your six mana value worth... In mono green right now, how many permanents are there? And and, and like Kazandu Mammoth would even enter on uh, the Oh, this is terrible in mono side. green. This is terrible in mono green. You hit no, like not. a one drop and a two drop off of this in mono green. No, right? you don't. You have like, <laughs> you have to have reason... You have reasonable threats in that deck, and you can use extra mana. Like... Uh, yeah. I don't get I don't get why I don't get this, why you're so narrow on this card. This does not play in mono green, my friend. I'm sorry. This is like the last card I would consider putting into mono green. Yeah, I I I agree with you that I think this is an interesting mid-range build around, but I just like I think if you run the numbers on this card, the I amount don't of say it's an it's not an interesting mid-range build build around. That's what I'm saying. It's the top end of your already good stuff deck. <laughs> it's one or two on the top because you're gonna pound people who don't play it because you're getting more out of your mana in the late game than they are. <laughs> Prove me wrong, CGB. I think I already have, and I'll do it on the battlefield too. Okay. I yeah, <laughs> I I'm deeply, deeply <laughs> deeply skeptical of this card okay <laughs> all right this has been good this is actually really yeah. fun i feel like we've had yeah. more disagreement in this set than <laughs> i can remember this card in particular this might be our all-timer <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah all right so uh what's next on the list here ren and seven ren and seven was spoiled a while ago and we've had some time to sit around with ren and seven it's three green green for five loyalty legendary Ren. It's got four abilities. It's got a book of text. The plus one is mulch. Reveal your top four. Put all the land cards in your hand. The rest in the graveyard. The zero is put any number of lands from the hand onto the battlefield tapped. The minus three is create a green tree folk token with reach and its power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. And the minus eight is return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with no max hand size. So after having seen the set a little bit more and thinking about like the mid-ranginess potential mm -hmm. of the set, I do I think that running seven like stacks up somewhat favorably. I wouldn't be surprised if this card ends up seeing pretty regular play. The combination with a Seeker's Chariot is just like butter, basically. The tree folk crews the chariot and then the chariot copies the tree folk. You gotta love a curve like that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm warming. I'm warming to Ren and Seven. 
Yeah, I think it's a beautiful green mid-range card. And I think that this format is going to be good to that because we have removal that's reasonably cheap. So you're more likely to get into these mid-range mirrors where everything needs to be a two for one. And Renin 7 generates it in multiple ways, uh, either by making the tree folk. And then if you kill the tree folk with your removal spell, Ren starts ticking up and making sure that you hit your land drops so that you can cast your expensive cards when you want to. So that you can fritter away your life casting trivial spells. <laughs> I thought I would keep that very generic with a slightly uh, sharp edge to my voice, <laughs> but sure, we could open this door again. <laughs> but Ren, I mean, Ren uh, Seven's good. I think. I think it's a top ten card. Okay, that's that's a strong assertion that I'm not sure that I agree with you on. I'll give you like top fifteen. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which is not that far off, right? And green ain't getting any worse, crafties. So that's the other thing, right? Is that like the the flaw of how bad green can be is so high. And I feel like you just you just throw Ren and Seven into your green deck along with all of these other excellent green cards that all play so well together. Oh my goodness. Like this plays so well with the adversary, right? You just freaking ramp into that thing. I, I don't know, dude. I just think green's gonna be bonkers, basically. You're all about like give me six mana and an adversary. You want an adversary, and I want Never mind. We'll just move right along. <laughs> C- CGB only wants one thing. It's disgusting. It's okay. We, we saved one. We saved this one for the last. Oh, uh, the You're spiciest ready? one for the last. So Kovaco Blue actually thinks this card could be broken. Go, Kovaco. I do? Blue. Okay. I, it's in the broken question mark. We're trying to handle the question mark side of things. And so far, I will say, I think I did a good job picking them based on the amount of question marking we've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> They're like these are these are real debates. I, I like having a debate section. Me too. You know? Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. So this is to fairy who slows the sunset. This is two white blue. I have to like squint at my monitor to read this card. Yeah. Let me allow me. I got <laughs> I got you. I got you. I've already memorized it. I'm not at all trying to read it right now. Um <laughs> for loyalty. Mythic legendary planeswalker to fairy. Plus one. Choose up to one target artifact up to one target creature, and up to one target land. Untap the chosen permanents you control. Tap the chosen permanents you don't control. You gain two life. Minus two. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in any order. Minus seven. You get an emblem with untap all permanents you control during each opponent's untap step. And you draw a card during each opponent's draw step. This is Teferi who slows the sunset. Is, is this card broken? No. No. Nah. Flat no. Nah. Nah. Sorry, bro. What if you have a, a creature that makes mana, an artifact that creates mana, and a land to untap? What if this is plus one make three mana? It's, I mean, it's Dece. It's Dece. I mean, what is that deck, though, right? It's like some weird, like, blue-white ramp deck. Maybe some Bant deck? Turn one or two, you ramp in some way, all right? One or two. So turn three, you can play Teferi. And plus it. And maybe you untap your mana ramp and like a land. So you hold up a two mana spell of some kind that keeps the opponent from killing Teferi completely. You've gained two life. Your Teferi's on five. Turn three, you cast all runs Epiphany. So in order for us to do that, we have to have turn, like... A, I said turn three. I mean turn four. I'm so sorry. we have to have like a, uh, a playable two mana rock, right? Or like uh, a, or yep. a, or a mana dock that survives, basically? Yep. 
We got to somehow get like one more little rampy card in there. We we need cards, quite frankly, that we don't have yet. So, okay, even if we do cast Sauron's Epiphany, what are we doing the following turn? Plus it again, and you're on ultimate threat, and you've not got three blockers for it. Or you can minus and try to hit another Sauron's Epiphany. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... And and what what if you didn't get your dream curve? What then? Then you play it and you minus and they attack it and you get a sweeper or something that you want to play later in the game. Or you plus it, gain two life, and they attack it and you gain more life because they attacked it. Yeah. It is a planeswalker. There's only so much bad it can be, but there have also been a lot of bad planeswalkers lately. It's made for a specific deck that doesn't exist yet. That's the yeah. that's the puzzle. Is it the worst Teferi planeswalker we ever had in standard? Probably not. It's probably one that's apart from like those planeswalker deck ones or whatever. I mean, yeah, aside from those. I mean, this this has to be right. It has to be the worst one yet. I I feel like there were some before, but I think Teferi was a legend the first time it was printed. I don't know if there was another Teferi planeswalker before Hero of Dominaria. But look, worse is relative term. Uh, Like, (laughs) I'm not kidding. By next fall, with the artifact set released... And with good mana for the Bant color pie, mm-hmm. like this could be the grown that all Teferis have been in recent history when it hits the battlefield with an accelerant. I just don't know though, right? Because like the best thing that this does until it ultimates is either ramping you a bit or drawing you another card, right? And I mean, I'm sure that we can fit, maybe there's some combo that involves untapping creatures and artifacts. I mean, I agree, like this card all depends on what else is in the format. So yes, wizards could put enough different pieces of the puzzle to come together to make this card really good. But I think in a vacuum, I think it's fairly underwhelming. I will grant that it's not there yet. And I'll grant that you shouldn't craft it yet. Yes, I think that this should really be Teferi who drains your mythic wild cards. I mean, (laughs) what else does a Teferi do? (laughs) Really? (laughs) So there you have it, crafties. That is another set review from Arjuna and Covert Go Blue. Thanks for joining us. I really enjoyed this set review because I feel like half of the cards that I thought were good, CGB didn't really like. And then the other half of the cards, which CGB thought were really good, I kind of wondered why he liked. And so I think that means it's going to be a really interesting set. And I'm looking forward to figuring out who gets more daggers as we get into the format. Me too. I'm particularly curious, a month into the format, what gets played more? Storm the Festival or the Primal Adversary? Oh, the Primal Adversary. Okay, that's a... Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good bet. That's a good bet. We shall see. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks so much for joining us again. You can always catch this show on Spotify. You can also find us on your podcatcher of choice. You can also watch the video version on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel. You can watch both of us stream CGB at Covert Go Blue on Twitch. I am Arena Craft Podcast on Twitch. And of course, you can always join our wonderful Discord. Uh, It's a great place to come and talk about decks, talk about memes, complain. We all like to do it. Why would you play Magic if you didn't enjoy complaining? You can also join our Patreon if you want to support this show and see it going. Uh, we have a nice little healthy base of support there, and every every dollar counts. We discuss these things, and it basically lays the foundation for what's possible with the podcast. So please go over there and donate. Covert Go Blue, in the meantime, stay shaved, buddy. You know, keep that hair coming close. Otherwise, people will start to understand what you really are underneath. <laughs> and uh 
and go buy those tokens. Go buy those CGB tokens. All right, crafties. Later.